Everyone, welcome back to the Decade Series uh, with the Cinnabums featuring the Misfit Pond, as always. And we have a special guest, returning guest, actually. Uh, he was on our Comfort Movie episode, and he's a comfort in. He's got a comfort in ASMR voice, Mr. Bill Griff. Thanks for thanks for coming back so soon. Well, thank you for charming me, minute one, Jake. I'm glad <laughs> to to be back here with my ASMR voice. That's what I do. That's what I do. And of course, Carlos and Blair, thank you guys for tuning in here at like damn near two in the morning, your guys' time. Uh, you <laughs> thank guys you are, for having me. <laughs> you guys are yeah. troopers. Yeah, no problem. It's what we do. I'm just happy um, to be here. Yeah, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so glad. Um, yeah, we're just we're going to say fuck it and just dive right into the list because our 70s list took about three hours. So we don't want to run into like a, you know another one of those even though it was fun i don't want to keep them here till 5 a.m so we're just going to get right into the goods um yeah the 80s were a great decade uh to sum it up i mean it was kind of like the post new hollywood movement so you have directors like thriving but you also have like i don't know like i guess horror films started to become very more mainstream like slashers post halloween uh, i mean like what do, how do you guys sum up the 80s usually i mean it's like for me it's like nostalgia on like cult hits and a lot of good, you know, as always, foreign films that you, we've discovered through Criterion and whatnot. So pretty stacked decade, yeah. Cult hits are definitely like what I think of when I first think of the '80s. Yes, yeah, very stylistic and and cult cult hits for sure. Yeah, that's the that's the first thing that comes to mind for me personally. It's I mean it's funny because I don't actually no I I was gonna say I don't really have any cult hits on my list, but there's a few in here that that might actually fit that category, so let me not say that. Um, but yeah, definitely. Like when I, when I think of the '80s, I think of something that feels very like like raw, not controlled. Uh, I definitely think of like horror cult stuff mainly. But totally, yeah, yeah, and yeah, cult movies. There's one I like almost made my list. I guess honorable mention, real quick, to Repo Man. Which I know is not a Carlos favorite, but uh, it was a movie that really grabbed me as like a young teenager, and I feel like really fits that mold of just kind of like zany, bad shit, crazy '80s coke energy. It just does whatever the hell it wants, and it's so punk rock. Um, so it didn't make my list because I couldn't like put it above like actual, you know, cinema, cinema. But I do yeah. love <laughs> Repo Man, and like there's you know John Carpenter films and other stuff of that nature. So. Yeah. yeah, it was a really interesting decade for sure. I, I've heard like Tarantino and other, you know, modern filmmakers that grew up in that time and talk about how like disappointed they were with this decade. Um, yeah. Which I never really understood. I don't know if you guys have heard those complaints yeah. from like modern auteurs about the 80s. Yeah, I, I remember Tarantino saying some shit like that. He was saying that like the 80s was a uh, decade that was. Uh, like not pushing out anything that was like boundary pushing and was very it was really safe and I'm like hmm. I don't know I mean again I don't know I'm not like the biggest like film historian exactly so I could be wrong but I don't know I remember there was a lot of crazy ass shit that came out in the 80s I mean maybe he's just talking about like the mainstream which I guess would make sense mm -hmm. but I mean I don't know I don't know how popular stuff like The Fly was but I'm pretty sure that, that that's an 80s movie right Yeah, yeah. it is and yeah. that's that's a pretty like bizarre movie that I think was pretty popular back then. So I mean I don't know. I think the '80s was kind of like um, 
at least in my opinion, I don't know, uh, is like kind of the prime of like blockbusters because you got so much. You got yeah. like Indiana Jones and Batman, Back to the Future. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't know, like Predator and Lethal Weapon. It's just <laughs> a lot of like yeah. uh, cultural, like a lot of the stuff you find um, uh, nostalgia beady, like in Hollywood today, comes mm-hmm. from the 80s. I'm sure that's no surprise to anybody, but yeah. For sure. And I was going to bring up, like, 80s nostalgia has become, like, a subgenre in modern film and, like, TV itself, <laughs> oh, which yeah. is pulling from, like, the Spielbergs and the, you know, Joe Dante, Cronenberg. Like, everyone's trying to replicate, like, these 80s kind of cult hits, Stand By Me, all that stuff. And, like, Back to the Future almost my, made my list, too. It's, like, a childhood favorite of mine. It's kind of like what Carlos was saying about Jurassic Park during the cover movies. It was, like... That was another one that could have made my list, but yeah, it's I, I totally agree. It's like those really iconic sort of de- childhood defining movies for sure come from the eighties. So yeah, and that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. Uh, I was gonna say there there is like pretty boundary pushing films like uh, Brazil though, and um, that that's just kind of the main one that comes to my mind, but also like. Santa Sangre, just a lot, a lot of avant-garde mm-hmm. kind of things. Um, this, this isn't making my list, but there's a movie called On the Silver Globe that might, that's Ooh. like top five craziest fucking movies I've ever seen. So yeah. Yep. That's the director of Possession, right? That director. Yeah. Yeah. I'd highly recommend that movie. It's fucking insane. Yeah. Terry Gilliam, David Lynch, so many amazing auteurs flowered in the eighties too. So you give it, it gives us a lot of everything really. So I can't wait to. Delve into the top five. Uh, do you guys have anything, any final words before we go? Uh, I was just going to say the uh, that synthwave sound also came from the 80s, really. Yeah. yeah. That synthwave sound that, like, a lot of filmmakers nowadays try to incorporate into their films in a kind of modern, retro kind of way. Mm-hmm. I just rewatched The Guest a few weeks ago, and that is, like, <laughs> chock, chock full of that synth Oh, yeah. You know, you know, neon drenched eighties nostalgia. And that, that movie rocks in my opinion. I would have talked about that too if uh, we talked about movies, but Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. the guest. I love that film too. <laughs> so much fun. Someone save Adam Wingard, he lost his mind. Um <laughs> In my opinion, that's like the only movie I, I like from him. I don't think it's amazing, but it's fun. It's really fun. Yeah, I know that, I'm a huge fan of that and you're next. Um Same. mainly because I saw those when they came out. And I have like a deep, deep nostalgia for both of them, but I can see why you're just like, yeah, these are kind of just hollow genre movies from the. Uh, Wait, are you are you guys talking about the guy who directed Kong versus Godzilla? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, sir. <laughs> Not advocating for that or the Blair Witch remake, but <laughs> before I- that, he. I- I actually like Godzilla versus Kong. Like, I'm not in love with it, but I thought I it was just, good. Yeah, it was like a, just a fun kind of like dumb action movie that I enjoyed. Such a yeah. big leap for him too. Like Adam Weingart going from making like three more or less indie type mm-hmm. films to a complete like super high budget blockbuster. It's kind of wild. And Death Note between that too. Oh the Death my Note God. That's, that is one of the worst movies I saw of the last decade. Mm-hmm. I despise that movie. I do too. Sorry. I despise it. I do too. Um, I think... <laughs> Adam Wingard was supposed to do like an I just saw the devil remake, which kind of heresy, if you ask me, to remake yeah. that movie. No, it does not need to be remade, but whatever. 
yeah. for for an American audience who don't fucking read subtitles, I guess. <laughs> yeah, God. That's a whole nother podcast. But anyway, uh, 80s, top five. Uh, Bill Griff, you're the guest, so we're going to, if you could lead us off, I would appreciate that. You're number five. I'm honored. All right. I am, I mean, God, I'm handling this a lot like top five comfort films because you can't, it's hard to rank so many films from the 80s. And I had to make some sacrifices all all of us did in trying to make a unique top five where there's no repeats unless that'll change through some heated debate. But mm-hmm. my number five, it's got to be from one of my favorite genres, a genre that I think was revolutionized, experimentalized, just completely reworked from the ground up. It's horror. Now, one of the most significant genres I think that was explored in the 80s was horror. In my opinion, that's the decade where the genre just really popped off. There were so many different subgenres of it, thanks to the 70s, of course. Yeah. From the body horror of Cronenberg's Videodrome and Fly to the multifaceted approach to that slasher archetype of Freddy and Jason. You know, that we had insane insane over-the-top acting in shit like the Evil Dead series and several iconic films I won't mention here in case they might show up later in someone else's list. As much as I wanted to pick every 80s horror, I I just need to pick one. And I feel confident in this one because my number five pick happens to utilize body horror, batshit crazy performances, just all the qualities I love to the best of its ability. And that is Andre Zulowski's Possession from 1981. If no one's heard of this film, the story is about a government agent played by Sam Neill. Yeah, the, the Jurassic Park guy, you know, the wholesome guy. He <laughs> comes home from work after a long mission to see that his wife has been having an affair with him. The two separate, not in the most simplest of ways, in fact. there's It's... It gets pretty heated. A lot of intense arguments ensue. He becomes jealous, confused, furious, and finally curious. Once he finds out who his wife has been sleeping with, that's when everything in possession clicks for me. When I first saw this film, it was in the aftermath of a breakup I was going through. I remember finishing it and just feeling so uh, changed. I I went in completely blind, and it's safe to say it's something that's resonated with me deeply. It's it's actually kind of cathartic to watch it. It's now become my usual Valentine's Day movie to watch. And I don't know, maybe it's the fact that this film tackles the story of a divorce in the most nightmarish, otherworldly, and possessive methods I've ever seen. (laughs) Like it definitely makes me not want to be married anytime soon or have kids. I could say how brilliant its themes are of a union being separated with, you know, the film taking place during cold war Berlin, the feeling of not being content with your lover only to leave them for someone else. You wish to be molded into the perfect version of them. That's a theme that's tackled and executed so well in this film 
not to mention the insane sound design and off-the-cuff cinematography. But to me, the most outstanding aspect of this film is Isabella Chani's performance as the wife, Anna. She's one of the best performances I've ever seen in an actor, period. She ta- she goes through all of the different emotions and complexities and is so, it's like, it, it borderlines on cheesy and over the top, like Nicolas Cage levels, like Mandy levels, but she does it so well and so expertly. There's so many scenes I would love to talk about. I'm, I mean, we might as well do, do into, get into spoilers because everyone else has seen this film, but I really Go love Possession. It. it is a very, it's definitely like what Blair said, a culty film, but it's also a revolutionary horror film. I feel like many, many contemporary classics like Hereditary is what comes to my mind first, and maybe The Babadook, just these with these excellent female performances they've i feel like they've all borrowed something from isabella johnny and possession so yeah, yeah that's my number five possession great gotta love it great great marriage story film <laughs> masterpiece masterpiece uh i agree absolute masterpiece must see masterpiece mm-hmm. Carlos, yeah, have, I, you, have you seen it yeah i've seen it twice i rewatched it I think last month for a movie night in the discord. And I definitely like the movie. I'm not nearly as in love with it as most people are, but there's a lot about the movie, like artistically that I do really respect and admire. Um, honestly, the first, like the first 30 minutes of the movie, I am in love with, I think it's like 10 out of 10. Um, I guess it's just like stylistically the way it goes about like structure and some of like the the film editing and some of the score choices and like it, I don't know it, it's it's kind of rocky for me like as it goes along it gets a little rocky but that's kind of by nature because it's so fucking like wildly ambitious with its creativity that like it's not going to be a film that everybody's going to jive with throughout the entire experience but um yeah I still really like it again I'm not like as in love with it but even if I'm not in love with it I do respect how thought-provoking it is and how interpretive it is and how just fucking fucked up it is overall. I think it's, in that department, it's really awesome. Totally. I can see where you're coming from. It's a very abstract and just, oh, I haven't seen it in years, to be quite honest, but I always remember the scene in this in the, I don't know if it's a subway tunnel or whatever. The, where, the most iconic scene. <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of turned into a meme in Discord a little bit, but, like, that is some of the best <laughs> acting on film I could think of. Um, and yeah, and like you said, Bill, about how it's a kind of a oddly, I can see that being somewhat of a therapeutic like breakup movie. Cause it is like, a, it is such a heightened like allegorical take on like relationships and everything. And it's so God. Yeah. It's a breathtaking movie. Like visually too. Like you said, like a, there's shots. I still remember that still stick in my head. Um, yeah. Lots of quotes too, that just kind of, chilled my bones when I first saw it. And Zulowski actually wrote this film in the midst of a divorce he was going through. So this is really a therapeutic film for himself when you think about it. <laughs> He's able to just let out all of his frustrations about divorce into this one movie and just 
make it like some mm-hmm. sort of psychosexual incubus crazy ass movie. It's 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 perfect in my opinion. It really is. And I get it, Carlos. I understand you not not jiving with the direction it takes, but I yeah. love it. I was I was all for the ride. Quick shout out to the brood by David Cronenberg because he made yes. that movie after a really horrible divorce too. And that he always said like that's how he sort of reconciled and, and kind of let out his frustration with marriage with that film. So I always that's a funny I always think it's a cool trope with filmmakers. Noah Baumbach made a whole career out of that, so <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, sure. the brood the brood has such a fucking amazing finale to it. Oh man, yeah. The final like twenty minutes of that movie is so ugh. For that reason alone, I, I bought it on Criterion. That was one of my first Criterions, and I bought it main, just mainly because of how much that ending like impacted me. It's just really great. Hell yeah. Check out our uh, top five Cronenberg list on the Cinnabums. We went deep um, to one of my favorite directors of all time. Uh, anyhow, uh, great pick, Bill. Uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll do my number five real quick, um, which I, I kind of shifted at the last minute. Uh kind of panicking because like this is one of my favorite <laughs> movies i didn't want to be too on the nose but i just have to bring it up because we we all love it we all know it but paris texas um, oh yeah nice. as, as perry always said the best thing shot in texas since jfk and <laughs> um he's right um this <laughs> <laughs> Bill, uh, Bill, you wrote one of the most touching reviews on Letterboxd about this movie, so I'll, I, I could like if you want to chime in after me. Um, I feel like you have a deep connection to this film, but um, man, what's there to say? I mean, Vin Vendors is is one of my personal favorite filmmakers, and many consider this his magnum opus. I think such a gentle meditation on on kind of what you're saying about possession in a weird way is this drifting relationship and kind of. Begging the question, like, do we belong together uh, in, the, in that final sequence? Just breathtaking stuff. And this movie just, like, for me is just, um, not to go back to comforting, but this movie is, like, the ultimate just zen experience watching it and, like, so thought-provoking and so visually rich, um, really zany and funny. Like, his relationship with the, his kid is very, very so sweet, but also kind of, like, the fact that they're like on the same playing field, like emotionally, emotionally, it feels like kind of like a buddy movie at times, which I love. Um, I think it's Vim Vendors. I haven't seen um, the film he did. Uh, I'm blanking on the name. The sci-fi film he did that's about four or five hours, which some people consider his magnum opus. But Paris, Texas is hard to beat, and I think it's, it's I think it's so long-lasting and like has inspired so many filmmakers over the years to make really personal. Universal films just really thriving on simplicity, and I think that's Wim Vim. Vim I, I keep pronouncing his name wrong. Vim Vendors. Um, Wim Wim Wenders. Wim Wenders. I'm trying to be the German, uh, the ger- the German pronunciation, I guess. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I'm I'm just being stupid. <laughs> Wim out on the Wim Wenders. Yeah. Um, he's a wonderful filmmaker, and Harry Dean Stanton in this movie, he's one of my favorite. Talk about like an actor that thrived in the '80s. Like Harry Dean Stanton was in so Repo Man, as for mentioned. Um, this is the performance of a lifetime, and, and if you ask me, um, and just so so much said with so little dialogue with his character, and 
again, the, the scene with him and his Sazakinski at the end is just, it, it's a movie that makes me redefine, like, you know, life and how we live, uh, so many things. Um, I'm rambling, but if anyone wants to add, that's my number five, Par- Paris, Texas. Shout out to Perry, JFK. <laughs> Shout out. I'm glad someone included this on their list. I, If anyone knows me, they know that Paris, Texas is my favorite film of all time for very personal reasons. I was trying to challenge myself by not having it on my list because I feel like that'd be so obvious. And I'm glad someone did include it because it, it really is just, even without my connection to it, just looking at it from a filmmaking perspective, it's such a well-done movie. It's so well-executed. Um, yeah, I'm glad you included it on your list, Jake. Me too. I feel, feel like if it wasn't on all over the 80s list, we would have done something wrong. That's kind of why I just threw it on at the last second. Um. Yeah, I lo- that's all I really have to say. I love the movie, um, like most people do. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it in, like, I don't think I've seen it in, like, two or three years. So it's not, like, the freshest in my head. But I do remember really, really liking that film a lot. I Especially, like, it's like I don't remember, like, the entire thing, but I remember, like, four or five, like, really different key impactful moments that, to me, are just, like, brilliant filmmaking. Yeah. Especially that, that ending conclusion, the phone call scene is just like that whole yeah. <laughs> so fucking great. Totally. And other Wim Vendors movies people should check out. Uh Alice in the Cities is another great road trip film that I love. Obviously Wings of Desire. Um The American Friend is is incredible. It's an amazing Dennis Hopper performance. Um I feel like he's oddly like an underrated filmmaker because people talk about Paris, Texas a lot. Um, but if you go through his body of work, he's just he's just a master of his kind. Um, and all his movies have a consistent tonality that I always I really keeps me coming back to him. So I'm a huge major fan of his. So um, yeah, that's my number five. Who wants to go next? Um, I guess I'll go next. Fuck it. Um, so my number five, hmm. I'm actually wearing a shirt for it right now. It's uh oh. Can y'all see it? Santa Sangre? Santa um, Sangre. Yeah, this film I am deeply, deeply in love with. Um, it's my personal favorite Alejandro Jodorowsky film. Um, I acknowledge that The Holy Mountain is like more of like an artistic achievement, but Santa Sangre to me is the absolute perfect blend of cohesive narrative filmmaking and also just, like, interpretive, bizarre abstraction. And, uh, I mean, it's just filled with all kinds of both beautiful and disturbing imagery, bizarre imagery, and, again, like, a narrative that um, is a lot more conventional compared to, you know, um, most of Hodorowsky's stuff, at least the stuff that I've seen, because El Topo and The Holy Mountain are very, I mean, the the narrative there is so incredibly loose, but with Santa Sangre, you have a lot more characters that you follow and see grow. Um, there's a lot more of like a psychological element to it that you can attach yourself to. And um, overall, yeah, to me, this film is just like the epitome of just brilliant creative artistry when it comes to like interpretive filmmaking. Um, 
because it's not a film that you necessarily have to understand everything to in order to actually enjoy it. Um, you can just enjoy it for what it is um, because of the fact that there is a narrative there that you can follow, even though you might not understand some of the bizarre shit that it throws at you. It's still like wildly entertaining and so interesting from start to finish. And um, yeah, I mean, this film is incredibly low budget too. It's, it was made for under a million dollars. I think it was made for like $800,000 or something like that. And when you watch yeah. it, it's kind of, it's just mind blowing, especially with the elaborate, um, the elaborate amount of, uh, set design that's in it, especially when it comes to like the, uh, um, Holy Blood Church and then the circus stuff and just like everything that went into it. You're just like, damn, it's kind of, it's kind of unbelievable how, this film was made for under a million dollars with how much shit went into it. But, um, Podorowski's family is in this movie and they're all great. Um, they're all really, really great in the film. I think they portray their characters really well. And, um, yeah, I mean, I have a whole review for this movie on my channel. So if you want to hear my more extensive thoughts on it, please check that out. But yeah, I, I'm in love with this film. He is uh, fucking Alejandro Hodorowski is a madman. And Synthesagre is another great example of why that is. But yeah. Oh, by the way, here's the, here's the Blu-ray. Oh, awesome cover. Nice. Sever- Severn. Severn, yep. Shout out to Severn. Man, every time we do these decade lists, Carlos, you make me just want to do a deep dive on Hodorowski's work. Um, so sadly yeah. I've always seen one film but I'm dying to see that now too as, along with Holy Mountain oh, Santa yeah. Sangre <laughs> my bad no go ahead Santa Sangre was uh, the film I chose for uh, the for us to talk about on the Misfit Pond Discord via the wheel wreck and I'm really happy we did that because uh, it's to me it's like unlike any any movie out there it feels so different even though it's not necessarily as bad shit as holy mountain there is a narrative there but uh the the way he expresses that kind of story of like you know uh mother mommy issues essentially like it's just so uh excellently done very hodorowsky style yeah it's uh this is more like i don't want to say it's more akin to something like bill griff's pick like possession but it is like, in terms of 80s films, it's similar in the sense that it's batshit and there's a narrative there and it's just filled with like a lot of disturbing and like fucked up shit. But at the same time, Vicente Sangre to me, it actually surprisingly has a lot of like beautiful moments in it that is kind of hard to describe. Um, but yeah, it's it's a wonderful film. It's bizarre. It's out there. And boundary pushing, of course, but um, very thought provoking and actually beautiful at times. Nice. Is that your favorite Hordorowski, or is it the Holy Mountain? Yeah, it's my, it's my personal favorite. Um, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I I love the Holy Mountain to death. I have a giant poster of it in my room. I mean, in my studio. So. Oh, nice. Um, but instead of Sangre, just resonates more on a personal level, and I think. Uh, Blair was the one that actually like really pushed Hodorowski in general on me. So kudos. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Back yeah. in like 2019, I I saw it and I was like, what the mm-hmm. fuck? This is such a weird, unique movie. I 
my, my only film friend at the time was was Carlos, so of course I told Car- <laughs> I just told Carlos in person to watch it. And thus yeah. began Carlos Core. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad he took to it. Hell yeah. Awesome, yeah. Um Blair, what's what's your number five? What's a Blair Core movie? Um, so this one was the modification that I did. I uh well I guess I won't say what I didn't go with just to keep the surprise, but mm. I went with one of my favorite Martin Scorsese films, The King of Comedy. Oh, oh hell yeah! So it's been it's been a good long while since I've seen this, but when I watched it, it it really left an impact on me because like I didn't know what to expect uh, before watching it, but um, I love character studies a lot, and I love Robert De Niro uh, a lot. So him playing this kind of like very layered, um, complicated kind of character. Um, was really fascinating. I think this is definitely one of Martin Scorsese's like uh more underrated uh works. I mean, totally. I know there's like After Hours and like stuff like that, but I I think this like deserves to be in like um kind of like talks of being like top 10 Scorsese in my opinion. Um agreed. I man, this film is both uh hilarious and very dark. Like um the the title card of this fucking movie is just so um off-putting it it beautifully sets the tone for what the movie is going to be like it's i won't spoil it but it just like it makes you very uncomfortable at least it made me very uncomfortable but um yeah for those who don't know it's just about um robert de niro playing rupert pumpkin and he plays like kind of this uh crazy crazy fucking fan of this one talk show um and how he just kind of wants his like five minutes of fame and he's like desperate to have it no matter what i mean um rupert cannot take fucking he won't take no for an answer he just like by all means he's gonna have this if it fucking kills him and uh just how unaware he is like he is fucking off his like rocker and it's really fascinating i think it's a, a brilliant performance and like a brilliant uh screenplay um yeah, this it's definitely in my top five Scorsese's. Uh, yep, the King of Comedy. Oh yeah, yeah, that's dude. an awesome pick. Yeah, I I love the King of Comedy. It's such a fantastic movie. And yeah, I agree. The 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 opening like title card credit sequence is freaking Chef's Kiss. It's so good. It's amazing. <laughs> Remind yeah. me of I haven't seen it in maybe five years. What what's the opening I'll credits just, again? I'll just say without spoiling it, it's basically like like a freeze frame of a of an image. And then it, oh, and, then, and then the title rolls, but I mean the, the credits roll, but yeah, that image itself is like to me so profound, and it like 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 Blair said, it, it encapsulates a lot of what the film is about. There's like no sound or anything; it's literally just that freeze frame, and the title and the um the sequence goes on for like kind of a long time. So it just like again kind of puts you in this like weird uh off-putting feeling that I love. Right, I. And that's what I love so much about Scorsese is that he's he's such an artful, creative dude. Like, I mean, yeah, he can make, like, you know, your normal, awesome type of film that everybody can enjoy. And that's just something that he just does in general. But he always has little creative flares to him that is just, like, 
so uniquely him and like that that title mm-hmm. that title card sequence in King of the Comedy is a perfect example of that. He's so much of that film so much of that film is doesn't feel like a Scorsese movie. It's I it's one of my favorites of his filmography and it feels tonally original compared to a lot of his mob flicks that a lot of people associate him with. This film is anything but and Robert De Niro playing a comedian Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> yeah. He, Speaking, you, you can make the case that's like his top five. You said top five for Scorsese. That's top five De Niro, in my opinion, as well. Oh, me too. For, yeah. Sorry, Bill, what were you saying? I was just going to say that also a lot of people associate this film with Joker that came out quite recently yeah. and yeah. how it um, borrowed, we'll say, with quota- I'm doing quotation marks right now. <laughs> Borrowed a lot. Nice from of you to say. It, yeah, it's nice of you to say it that way. But um, <laughs> I don't want to get into a Joker fiasco. No. But but I love the King of Comedy and like shout out to After Hours too. You mentioned that like that's a I think it's a mega underrated Scorsese from the '80s. He got like super. He got more like I think confidence in the '80s and started making things that were off kilter, less mainstream. You know, like the King of Comedy, After Hours. Last Temptation of Christ, of course. Um, oh, yeah. Really found his groove. You know, you can make the argument that's like, might be like the apex of Scorsese, like through the 90s. Um, yeah. And shout out to, who's the the actress in The King of Comedy who plays the other obsessed fan? Um, she's like, oh, it's so fucking good too. She's like, she's so crazy um, yeah. in that film too. She's great. Um, yeah. yeah. Who, who was that? I'm looking it up as we speak. For some reason, I want to say Juliet Lewis, but I know it wasn't her. <laughs> no, definitely Juliet Lewis vibes. Yeah, Sandra Bernard. Oh, nice. Bernhard, Sandra Bernhard. Yeah, shout out. She was. Yeah, she's insane in that movie. Um, hell yeah. Um, who was the guy who played the talk show host in the Jerry, Jerry Lewis. Lewis? Yeah, that's cool that they got an actual talk show host for the film it probably was a little it was probably an interesting experience for him <laughs> to deal with that i would want to be in the room like when scorsese's pitching to jerry lewis like to be in this meta commentary about comedy and stuff it's, it's a wild movie for someone that famous to be in for sure the um, is so convincing in that movie he it genuinely feels like he's fucking deranged and i wouldn't want to be in the same room as him <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes me want to do a top five like De Niro performances now. Oh, that would I, be, I was just looking through his filmography. Yeah, that's that's harder than this. Um, <laughs> but I, I have a feeling we're gonna talk about another Scorsese De Niro coming up down the pike. Uh, Bill Griff, you're number four. Yes, sir. All right, I'm gonna keep this a bit more brief so we can move along. This film is. One of my favorites of all time, of course. It was actually uh, one of the first Criterion movies I saw. One of my first Criterions ever. I remember specifically being in high school. And shout out to my English teacher who is so based. He introduced us to Kurosawa and Bergman and shit. Of course, when I was young back then, I didn't give give a fuck. It was all boring (laughs) black and white movies. (laughs) had to read. But... God bless him. God bless Michael. He showed us this movie, 1989's 
Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, an absolute banger, in my opinion, takes place in one day, set on one block in Brooklyn at the at the hottest day of the summer, and you just get to see everyone's life, the entire neighborhood and the community and how they associate with one another. It has, in my opinion, one of the best ensemble casts I think I've ever seen. So many incredible characters. Oh, I see that. Yeah. No Criterion. Um, so it's <laughs> just waiting no for the 4K. Wait for the 4K. To, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got, of course, Spike Lee playing Mookie, pizza delivery guy. You've got a very young, pre-fame Sam Jackson playing... Mr. Senior Love Daddy, the radio host. Yeah, the radio, yeah. Um, Demare, personally my favorite character of the of the film, who's just this bum who walks around and just is this. <laughs> oh God, he's such a character. Then there's mother sister sitting on the windowsill. There's Radio Rahim, and there's Giancarlo Esposito who plays bugging out someone bugging you would out. not expect him to play. <laughs> like there's. Yeah, and then I haven't even talked about like the the sons of the pizza store owner who Danny Aiello's Danny Aiello, yeah, Aiello, fucking great performance by him in this film. There's so much to look at with this film, and I feel like it's really rewatchable. Like I I often try to watch this in the summer around Fourth of July, oddly enough, to just get recaptured into that time capsule of the 80s and see what the culture was like for the kids there and just the it 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 deals with racial tension in such a fascinating way that Spike Lee is is well known for and he's amazing at it this is if i'm not mistaken this is the first film that really like brought him out into the spotlight and gave him the notoriety that he is now as a real, as a well-renowned filmmaker do the right thing you gotta love it it's a perfect film yeah that was yeah. i i have the blu-ray because this was an honorable mention uh for me and mike brought this up in his comfort movies so i'm glad we're on like a we're advocating so heavily i, I agree i think it's a masterpiece i was also shown that i think it was like creative writing class or something like a really cool teacher showed us that film. Um, and I like what you said about the 4th of July setting. I feel like that's really a great idea. Cause you could feel the unrelenting heat of that movie, like in the production design and the makeup and everything, you feel the tension just boy reaching like an obvious, like at the end, like a boiling point when shit hits the fan. Um, yeah. One of the most important it's- movies of all time, if not, of the whole eighties, like as Roger Ebert said, um, it's such an incredible movie. My, uh, my two experiences with this movie were really interesting. Like, uh, I guess noteworthy to me. Um, cause I watched this movie. I watched the movie the first time during like the peak of the protests in 2020. Um, oh, like, yeah. like smack dab in the middle when that was like at its, at its uh, highest. Um, I was like, well, you know, um, I guess I'll put on something that's like kind of relevant to the times. I mean, it's the sad part about the, about the, about it is it's like almost always relevant. Like these kind of like injustices and uh, discrimination yeah. happens like 
you know, 24 seven. Um, but God, watching it at that time just really fucking, uh, hit really absolutely hard. Like I fucking cried a lot during the ending. It's, it's harsh, uh, to say the least. Um, no, it's, it's a wonderful film. I think it's incredible. And, uh, the second time I watched it, I watched it with Perry in theaters and that was also pretty great. Oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, it was a awesome experience seeing that in the big screen with Perry. Yeah, dude, I I really love this film a lot, too. Um, this is a film that, I mean, all, pretty much everybody was, like, really pushing me to watch it. And, you know, I I definitely wanted to watch it, but I was, like, thinking to myself, well, how great is it really? Because I've never really been the biggest Spike Lee fan you know, I didn't go into it expecting something that was actually going to be masterful, and I was wrong. This movie is is masterful, in my opinion. It's it's entertaining. It's deeply emotional. It's incredibly relevant. Um, just like the, the the final twenty five thirty minutes of the film is just like riveting and emotionally draining and thrilling. It's it's to me it's 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 perfectly escalated. Like to see things escalate in the way that it does is perfectly paced and directed and um it makes so much sense, like 'cause we spend so much time with these characters and all their situations and we get to know all their personalities and to see like everything build up and escalate to what happens in the third act, it it feels so not just purposeful, but it feels so natural and believable to the point where I think it impacts the viewer a lot more. Um, but yeah, it's, the film is so good. And yeah, I, I could see myself watching this a lot. I mean, I watched it twice and it's just really, really great. I have a, uh, I, I think it was the oncoming storm that requested this film to me. So I have a whole video on it if you want to see more thoughts on it. But yeah, really, really great film. It's a great pick. Totally. I'm glad we're all on board with that because I'm probably gonna advocate for it, advocate a lot for it when we're doing the top ten. So, hell yeah. So, so yeah. Criterion 4K coming out soon. I I will cop that. Uh, all right. My number four is kind of kind of akin to your title in a way. It's the second half of your title. It's just the thing without do the right in front of it. Um, <laughs> uh, John Carpenter is is a filmmaker. That means a tremendous amount to me. He kind of got me into movies at a really young age. And this was, this is like the ultimate, first of all, it's like the ultimate dad movie. Cause like I've had every, every dad and uncle who knows I love movies recommend this movie to me. Um, but for a good reason, I think it's, I personally, I think it's one of the most pitch perfect horror films uh, ever made and Bill was saying about like the practicality of uh, like practical effects of body horror became a very big phenomenon of the 80s um, you know you could point to Cronenberg and all of them Hen- Hen and Lauder, but Carpenter really perfected it in this film in my opinion and shout out to I forget the um, the makeup artist and, and designer of this film he was like 21 years old I think when they made this film um <clears throat> And like his designs of the creatures in this film are just like mind-boggling how good they are, um, and yeah, and just like I think every every shot, every cut, every 
artistic choice in this movie has a point to it. I think it's just like one of the most pitch perfectly directed movies um, in the horror genre ever. Um, and I, it's a movie I've probably seen like 10 to 20 times at this point, and it's never got it, – it's only gotten better with age. Like I remember seeing this film in Chicago on 70 millimeter and just like the crowd – everyone's seen this movie plenty of times if you're a fan of Carpenter in this movie, but you can hear – people gasping and like just kind of holding their breath, especially during the interrogation sequence. And every time the monsters sort of appear, um, I think it's a timeless movie um, and so fun. Uh, like I, I watch this every, I don't, was this a comfort movie? Cause now I feel like I'm regurgitating myself, but I remember we were talking about movies that you could watch like in the winter time. And the thing is definitely one of those, like you kind of cuddle up and just like in, enjoy the hell out of this movie. Um, so yeah, it's like, as Bill said, picking a horror movie is tough in the eighties, but I, I kind of had to pick like objectively what I think is one of the best, but also a movie that means a lot to me and got me into films. Um, but I think got a lot of people that are into horror films into like the genre and kind of escalated it. Um, and yeah, Kurt Russell looking like Jesus Christ, <laughs> King shit. Um, yeah, that's my number four. I love it to death. And Kurt, obviously, Kurt Russell's is, better than Jesus. Sorry. I was gonna whoa, say. whoa, whoa. Okay, John Lennon, hold up here. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say the film uh, would actually been better if it was actually Christ coming down and saving everybody from the alien imitators. <laughs> it could have been uh, Carpenter's intent. It's like we have to have him look like Jesus. It's like a, it's a metaphor. Um, <laughs> the power of Christ compels him. Uh <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't. Did, did Bill, you talked about that in comfort movies. I, I swear, someone did. Yeah, he did. You did. Okay. No, one of my I, favorite. I, I didn't. Bill did. Yeah. Bill this did, is yeah. one of my favorite comfort movies for sure. Yeah, um, definitely my top five favorite horror films. It's it's the original Among Us. You gotta love it. You know? <laughs> it's it's fun to watch it for a first time. Try to figure out who's sus, who isn't it's you know? sus. <laughs> it's uh, who are they gonna vote off? Yeah, if, is McCready going to call a meeting and say someone vented, <laughs> child's vented in reactor? Yeah. yeah it really uh, has, yeah. It's a, tw- a 12 angry men in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 12 angry scientists. I'm having so much deja vu because we talked about, we said all, like all this shit before. But yeah, I, we did. <laughs> I think I said like ex- verbatim certain things, but nonetheless, um, great film. and. Absolutely. Yeah. Carlito, I think it's you next, yeah? I think so. Um, all right, so my number four is another <laughs> Scorsese and Robert De Niro joint. Um, it's not King of Comedy, but it is Raging Bull. Wow, double yeah. fist in. Yeah, double fist in here. <laughs> Just to show you how much I love this film. I owned the, <laughs> no- I owned the uh, Normie Blu-ray before I uh, caught the... The Criterion 4K. 4K, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I I love Raging Bull so fucking much. This is a film that, uh, hold on, my cat is being annoying. We'll be right back. <laughs> Damn. little dead air action here. All right, sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, anyway, yeah, Raging Bull, dude. This is a film that, I mean... I, again, one of those films that you expect to be great because it's Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro. Um, 
But since it's like a, I mean, on the surface, you're like, okay, this is like a boxing film. So, um, you know, what, again, one of those things, like how, how fantastic is it really? You know, because there's been a bunch of like, you know, sports dramas made, a lot of like, you know, biopic type of stuff made, especially in the boxing arena. Um, but this film is the most artful and just like visceral exploration, um, character study type of like sports drama. If you, if, if you even want to call it that, calling it a sports drama doesn't even, I feel like give it the right picture. Um, because it's, it's, I mean, it's a lot more visceral than, than you would expect. Uh, Robert De Niro gives, I think in my opinion, it might be like my favorite performance from him. Um, he just plays such a brilliant, toxic masculinity, uh, domestic abuser, um, that just is riddled with so many, like, uh, like, I get like a lot of like internal, psychological and emotional issues that does that do again root back to this kind of like hyper masculine bravado that he has um but you can tell like him as a character is actually very sensitive and very emotional he just doesn't know how to you know contain and release his emotions in a healthy way um which again comes off very like toxic and uh overly jealous overly envious um yeah, it's this film is just so great. And again, it, Joe Pesci is in this movie. Um and this is like one of the only Joe Pesci roles that I've seen where he actually plays like the normal character. <laughs> yeah. The one that the one that isn't hot headed, the one that is more reasonable. The level headed one, yeah. Yeah. Um oh. and you know, it's it's just really interesting to see his dynamic here with Robert De Niro, who again, Robert De Niro is the one that plays the one that is super irrational. Um, and to see him contrast with him, I think is just like, it's, it's an absolute delight. I think they're both fantastic in the film. Um, yeah, it's, again, it's a film that is never boring. Um, such a, just, just again, such a really compelling character study. Um, all the acting across the board is fantastic. And it is, as I try to say, like earlier, in terms of presentation, it's, to me, really creative. Again, this is a film where the opening credits is just like, it's so like, it feels so euphoric and so immersive. Um, it's like a slow motion oh, yeah. shot we get of, uh, Robert De Niro's character in the boxing ring. Um, just absolutely beautiful stuff. Um, but yeah, honestly, it's been a very long time since I've seen it, but I remember so much of it and just like the way that the film uh, you know, concludes with, uh, Robert De Niro's character, like in the, like the third act of the film. It's, uh, again, really, really compelling filmmaking, um, not only from like a directing standpoint, but just from like a writing standpoint. Um, really great. And Robert De Niro, some of his best acting comes from that third act. It's insane how far he goes, not only with like his physical transformation, but just like the emotional, the kind of like emotional anguish that he puts his character and his performance through. It's so, uh, it's so admirable to see him do something like that. It's really, really incredible stuff, but yeah, I'll stop going on about it. Raging Bull's so fucking amazing. I love it so much. In my opinion, Raging Bull is the quintessential biopic. I think it yeah. is yep. done with so much clarity and realism to it where you don't paint this guy as 
someone he's not, you truly just show him exactly like the animal he is, yeah. Jake LaMotta. Because so many modern biopic films like Elvis and Bohemian Rhapsody and a few others, they just don't portray the character they don't show the darknesses that these people have gone through in their lives. And Raging Bull does not shy away from the darkness at all. They, they, if anything, shine a floodlight against it and remind you of the terrible things this person's done, not just the great things. And so I'm glad that Scorsese went with that direction when approaching this film. And also a fun fact about this is that Scorsese was – in the hospital for a drug overdose because he was he was doing like some hardcore drugs. I don't know if it was heroin or something like that, like a hardcore drug. And De Niro came to his hospital and gave him the book, Jake LaMotta's autobiography, mm. and told him, we need to make, you need to make this movie because what you're doing right now with your life, it's not it. This is this is not what you should be doing. And Scorsese took his advice and cast De Niro, got the rights, and boom. Didn't this win quite a few Oscars, too? Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. It Holy definitely shit. won Best Actor and Best Editing. And I love that story because Scorsese always looks back on this film. I've heard it, like so many interviews. He's like, that movie changed my career. And it was all because like Robert De Niro was so passionate about the source material and like adapting to that character because it meant so much to him like say kind of like similar to like what they were talking about the irishman like they felt so deeply connected to this world and these themes that these that these kind of the source material material had and i have no problem saying like reggie bull is one of the greatest performances ever put on film which we've been saying a lot in this episode but like that, the way that movie unravels and like how it's, I love movies where it's about such a renowned figure and such someone who's on top of the world, like financially and, um, you know, kind of like classic class system, you know, just like on top of the world. And yet they just, they're so hollow. They have nothing in their heart. You know, like you look at Citizen Kane or there will be blood, you know. Raging Bull, like top tier character studies. That's they all kind of share that similarity, in my opinion. And like that's like Scorsese's kind of uh, kind of version of you know exploring humanity in such a deep way. And it just ha so happens to be a biopic. Like I honestly forget a lot that that's a biopic because it feels so much richer and, and deeper than any, any yeah. other biopic that has come out since then. Frankly, yeah, because a lot of biopics just like to play it safe, kind of like what Bill said. Um, you know, yeah. and, and what, what I love so much about Raging Bull is that it doesn't, it doesn't like try to mask the main character's personality and flaws. Like what it does is it shows you right from the get go who this character is and their flaws. And it doesn't make an excuse for it because like in, in a lot of biopics, they kind of wait until the until the character gets famous and had and like runs into a lot of like betrayal and a lot of like uh you know it runs into a lot of issues that would make them downfall and therefore kind of blaming the fame and everything like turning yeah. them into a monster or something. But in Raging Bull, it's like no, he already had the tendency to be a monster right from the get go. So it's not like it doesn't even try to like pretend <laughs> that like oh it was 
it was fame's problem or it was like a wealth problem or anything. It's like, no, this was just something that he struggled with as a human being. And it just happened to intensify later because of fame and everything else. But yeah. Yeah, totally. Pure, pure self-destruction. Yeah. The prison scene, I always sticks in my head when you finally like, he just like completely explodes and it's like heart wrenching that, that sequence. And De Niro is like giving everything he has in that scene. It's that thing like, gives man. me chills just thinking yeah. about it. And the final shot with the mirror, which which Boogie Nights paid homage to, I always think about that weird duality. Um, but but yeah, yeah, I feel like I could talk about Raging Bull forever too. It's like so much to unpack. Um, I do want to correct one thing I said about no biopics being better than uh, than Raging Bull since then because I forgot about Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Um, <laughs> Nothing beats that. That movie is um, amazing. <laughs> and and Talladega Nights, the Ballad of Ricky the Ballad Bobby. Of Ricky Bobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just had to correct the record there. <laughs> All I want to add is that Carlos pushed me to watch Raging Bull for fucking four four fucking years. Um, when I yeah. finally did get around to watching it, um, it did not disappoint. I think it's incredible and. I don't really have anything new to say. You guys really summed it up beautifully. Uh, I just think it's one of the most like riveting movie experiences I've probably ever had. It was completely engaging uh, start to finish. And yeah, it's um, if uh, nobody, if somehow nobody included it in this list for whatever reason, I, it definitely would have been above (laughs) King of comedy. It's probably my Mm. uh, second favorite um, uh, Scorsese. Oh nice. Yeah. I to be honest, I thought you were gonna be like I Carlos pushed me to watch it, but it was mid. And that's why, why you haven't said <laughs> no, anything. No, no, no. Carlos sometimes does that. He's like, Yeah, I watched that. It was like six out of ten. No. <laughs> Raging Bull is undeniably. Yeah, you, you gotta be a you gotta be a fucking idiot to be like, Yeah. <laughs> mid Yeah. I actually know that idiot, but I won't say their name. Oh sorry. Shit. <laughs> oh shit. No, it's okay. <laughs> I just put someone on blast. Damn no, no, no. I don't. I don't care about this person. <laughs> not, okay, okay. Yeah. That's so there's up. no offense. Yeah, there's no offense taken here. <laughs> awesome. Alrighty. Uh, Blair, you're next. Yeah, you're number four. Okay, so I'm not gonna lie. My number four was originally the thing, but it's okay. I found a replacement. I can roll with it. So. The one I'm going to go with is a movie that's very fresh in my head because we literally just talked about it um, for a conversation. It's um, Vagabond by uh, Agnes Varda. I love that movie. Um, Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, and what's funny (laughs) is I I didn't get a chance to talk about it because I was working so late, But um, so I'll do it here. Uh, Yeah, I, I honestly think this movie is a fucking masterpiece. I I really loved uh Cleo from 5 to 7 and um this was su- such a different like such a different experience. Um I think the I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. Actually no because it it's literally in the synopsis on Letterbox, but um the movie starts out and we know where this character ends up and like um just from that get-go, the way it was, like, um, filmed and, and set up, it was just really chilling. 
and the way we kind of just learn about her adventure, um, kind of being this, uh, homeless, this homeless woman, uh, was really interesting because we don't necessarily know why, um, she's ch- chosen this lifestyle or the circumstances that's led to this, uh, to this lifestyle, but we do infer as the audience, like, obviously some, some kind of fucked up circumstances that we don't know the particulars of led to this decision, or maybe it's um, her completely rejecting this kind of like oppressive capitalistic society that everybody has to fucking partake in kind of reminds me of like almost like Jean Dillman in a way, like very different experience, but kind of like in that important uh, thematic, uh, in those thematic uh, ways. Uh, yeah, I also think this movie is like beautifully shot and, um, and, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, this movie really surprised me by how much I fucking loved it. It's, it's kind of also a character study, but it's, it feels like a different kind of character study than like Raging Bull or, uh, uh, King of Comedy. And I definitely recommend people seek this movie out because it's, it's definitely not talked of, uh, about enough. It's definitely worth a watch. I love, I love this movie a lot. So yeah. First of all, I apologize for taking the thing from you because that was that was a last minute switch for me as well. Oh no worries. Um, <laughs> but second of all, it was so it was an absolute king move to take out a John Carpenter movie and put an Agnes Varda movie in. <laughs> so I commend that. Um, and I, I I love that film too. It's so good. Yeah, so. and the oh, and the performance. I I can't believe I didn't mention the the main performance. She does an incredible job like yeah it, not only in like the way she emotes and and acts but like her her uh appearance and stuff has all those details that you would like expect from this kind of character like there there are close-up shots of like her her fingernails and they're just all fucking gritty and dirty uh-huh. and um yeah i like i don't know much about this actress i assume this is like a like a actress from our country but i like if I, if you told me like this is like um somehow autobiographical or some or like a biography I, like I would believe it. It just she it feels so fucking mm. real. Uh, she it feels like they just like Agnes Varda just like followed some homeless woman if that makes yeah. sense. But no, yeah. it's an amazing movie. I love very, it. Very guerrilla style filmmaking at times, which like she has interactions. You feel like you're just a fly in the wall. Um to her yeah. experience for sure it is, it is a very fly on the wall kind of movie now that i think about it oh yeah, yeah. for sure it's heartbreaking too this the, it, it is the the um third act of the movie just i hate i, I don't want to like boil it down and just say like it did made me feel like sad but it, i mean it did have this kind of like melan- melancholic like this fucking really hit me deep like feeling totally it has a very like like it, it is what it is type of emotion to it, which can be kind of depressing in a way. It's a little nihilistic. I mean, it's not a, it's sure. not overly nihilistic, but it you know it just kind of has that yeah. underlying in its themes. I feel like compared to other Agnes Varda films, it's definitely more melancholic and downbeat. Um, My kind of movies. <laughs> no, totally, I agree. Yeah, Cleo's pretty bleak too, but it's not. This takes us to another level for sure. Uh, I've loved oh, yeah. everything I've seen from Agnes Varda, by the way. She's 
She's a very she's a legend for a reason. Yeah, I need to watch more from her. I I've only seen uh, Vagabond and Cleo. You trying to cop that uh, box set during the sale? Oh shit! Um, probably not, be just because I want the Fellini box set really bad, and I also want the Demi box set really bad. But then after that, I'll go for Varda's box set. I go only... oh, ahead, sorry. sorry. No, I was going to spill the same question, but go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, I've only seen Vagabond. That's the only Varda film that I've seen, and it was awesome. So I can't wait to yeah. see more of her stuff. She rocks. Oh. It'd be cool to get Jock to me and Agnes Varda box sets together. Oh, that'd be awesome. Like a nice little, yeah. Sorry, want, what were you saying? I want to shout out my friend Eugene. His uh, his favorite movie is uh, Cleo from 5 to 7, and I think oh, it's yeah. super fucking awesome that uh, he loves that movie to death. Like, it's, uh, again, it's one of those movies that, like, I don't feel like gets talked enough about, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it maybe it does in certain communities. I don't know. Yeah. No, t- totally out. agree. Shout out to Eugene and Rigby also. Yes, Rigby. The two The two Varda fans that come to my mind. Absolutely. Shout out to all the Varda stands. Yeah, I'm currently actually in the middle of binging a few of her, like all of her documentaries. So, yeah, it's it's been enjoyable so far. I really uh, want to see the cleaners, the gleaners, and I. I heard is yeah, um, is really that's, good. That's like her highest, one of her highest rated films behind uh, the Beaches of Agnes. Of course, yeah. And the Black Panther documentary looks obviously really... Looks great. Really great. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was great. That's probably my favorite of her documentaries that I've seen so far. Sounds really good. Oh, hell yeah. And Faces Places, I've heard, is really, really good. Like her her and the other guy, JR. Um, Yeah, shout out to Agnes. Love her. Uh, Bill, you want to go next? Shout out to Varda if you're watching, if you're listening out. <laughs> yeah, she's listening. She's up in heaven playing the pod. Yeah, totally. <laughs> she's like, listen to me. They're talking about us. <laughs> There's some film bros down there. They love us. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm gonna bring the mood down because Blair said nihilistic, and I'm like, hell yeah, this is my number yes. three because. <laughs> One of my favorite genres ever, and a genre I wanted to include here, is anti-war. And better yet, why not hit two birds with one stone? I'm going with an anti-war animation from the 80s. One of my favorites from Studio Ghibli, that being 1988's Grave of the Fireflies. Yes. Nice. Uh, not from Miyazaki. This is actually from Isao Takahata. I think this is one of the only Ghibli films he directed. It has often been considered the black sheep in Studio Ghibli's filmography because it's just so different from the <laughs> remainder of the films, to say it lightly. And to, I mean, to go off of the synopsis, it takes place during the final months of World War II where a 14-year-old boy and his little sister are orphaned when their family is killed during an air raid in Japan. After falling out with their aunt, 
they move into an abandoned bomb shelter with no surviving relatives and their emergency rations depleting. The two children struggle to survive. And that is an understatement because this film is truly a gut punch to your humanity. If you're a human being, that is, if you actually have feelings, I feel like this movie will kind of destroy you. It's so emotionally charged and fucking beautifully animated. My God, there are so many just sequences that I can think of in my head, even the use of the fireflies from the title of this movie. They're mm-hmm. so beautiful. I know. And they, God. They, they add this little, this little twinge of hope, this little inkling of hope in there. But this really is just a, a hopeless movie. It makes you just hate how our world operates and hate how these these so many people are affected that aren't in the conflict. Like these children aren't serving in war. They're they're literally civilians being destroyed. Their lives are being destroyed and obliterated because of two two people going at war that happen they happen to be in the vicinity of it. And Grave of the Fireflies is, in my opinion, one of the best anti-war films and is a great film to show children to to, to just kind of – well, it is to get them kind of educated slowly yeah. in the the totality of war and how gruesome it can be. And I feel totally. like it's – it's it's easily digestible for children, unlike some other war films out there. This is a good one for them to start off with. And yeah. then Apocalypse yeah. Now, you could show them the next week and then yeah. yep. keep elevating. Double feature with Full Metal Jacket. Yep. <laughs> and then and then and then you can show them Come and See. <laughs> the final all, boss. All, all three films all at once. The one. final boss is Elmore Kimoff, totally. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a hundred feet high. Fuck with me. <laughs> um, I'm getting choked up just thinking about this movie again. I'll be honest. I'm just thinking about them in the cave and the way you were describing them as like just civilians in the crossfires of like all that is wrong with humanity. Like that movie is yeah, it's just a hopeless, dreary, but so beautiful at the same time. Um, I can't yeah. say a b- bad thing about it. It's Fucking, so effective. I mean, before I watched Grave of the Fireflies, I heard so much about it. Um, not like necessarily narrative wise, but just the fact that it was like one of the saddest movies like most people have ever seen. And I was like, all right, let me fucking buckle up for this. And yeah, I'm glad I buckled up because <laughs> yeah, they're not wrong. This movie is emo- like probably one of the most emotionally draining films I've ever witnessed in my entire life. Um, the la- I mean, I remember the third act of this film, I cried like sequentially like three different times because of certain things that happened. It was like, okay, this thing happened. I'm in tears. All right. I kind of get over it for like five minutes. Something else happens. I'm in (laughs) fucking tears. And then I get over it for five minutes. And finally something else happens in the end. I'm just like in complete shambles. And I just, it's like hard to like, it's a film that like, like once you're watching it, once it's over, it's hard to like pick yourself back up from it. It just kind of like breaks you down into like little tiny pieces. Um, but yeah, it's the Grave of the Fireflies is such an amazing movie. I haven't seen it since I saw it like two or three years ago, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, honestly, I don't know why I'm going to see that movie again because it's, it's so emotionally like impactful and 
It just takes a lot out of you as a person, as a human being. Like, like Bill said, if you're a human being with feelings, then I just feel like emotionally it's going to be like one of the most compelling and draining experiences you'll ever have. It truly is a gut punch to your humanity when you watch it. Yeah. Well, lucky for me, I'm AI now, so I don't have feelings. I can watch it whenever. <laughs> um, no, I, I, yeah, God, that movie's amazing. And it does stick out as such a, not even a sore thumb, but just like an outlier in, in Ghibli's output is like, they're all comforting in their own ways and, and deeply profound. And that, that one just like wreck, rips your soul apart. Um, I mean, would you show your kids that movie? Like what age would you, would be the right one to, to witness horrific things like that? Maybe eight. Like, like eight yeah. or ten. Yeah. Sure. I, yeah. That, I can see that. Yeah. I can get on board with that. The age of Setsuko. The kid that. <laughs> Whatever age The kid in the cave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Man. Um, anti-war man. Uh, that, 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 I'll do my number three because I also picked an anti-war film. I was worried you were going to pick mine just because it's so obvious, but, uh, we just, we just mentioned it, but I, come and see is my number yes. three film. Um, another, like, how could I not pick, like, Paris, Texas? Um, I was late to the game on this one, I'll be honest. Like, people, people for years have been telling me to watch it, and I, I didn't watch it till, like, 2020 like during the pandemic I decided to throw this on um but quite literally lived up to all of the hype that had been generated around this movie for me I mean like like Bill was saying with anti-war movies you know like they're not some of them are always some of them hit better than others and some can be more standard issue and formulaic but I feel like from the first frame of come and see like you are it is the most like grounded fever dream depiction of war that you could ever think of. Um, I mean, other ones come to mind that are close to it, but like talk about a movie that makes you just give up on humanity and kind of just succumb to like all the nihilistic thoughts you've ever had about, you know, war and like uh, obviously like the Nazi regime and everything that's depicted in this film. And like, just the fact that you're following this teenage boy throughout this film is like, I guess through Bill's logic, maybe you could like a 15 year old is would throw this on and really find like um, find a really an engaging experience. But like, there's the way he his psyche sort of devolves um, and kind of mirrors the how everything escalates throughout this movie and like his surroundings and everything. Uh, it's just breathtaking stuff and one of the best shot like the handheld cinematography and like the the colors and like the landscapes and how everything oftentimes you don't see the villains a lot of the time, the, the I'm saying the villains, like, they're, but like the Nazis um, and the Russians in this film, they are villains. They are villains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but man, I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking right now about the bar, the barn sequence towards the end of this film and oh, like fuck, yeah. the, the sound, of, not to get into too much detail. I don't want to spoil too much about this film. If, Anyone out there hasn't seen it, but the the back at the barnyards reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the animated cow has to save the farm. You know, you all, you all when, know the plot. When Otis when Otis comes and sees. <laughs> I was gonna say it's like more like Chicken Run, the plot of Chicken Run, but 
Actually, yeah, that makes sense. It's exactly <laughs> like that. <laughs> Neither here nor there. Um, I was going to say the sound design in that, in that sequence, which is like a 25-minute, just grueling, gut-wrenching sequence. is like, I remember watching that movie with headphones on, and I was like, I felt just like my soul slowly like depleting throughout that sequence. And then I think one of the best editing... I don't, I don't, people don't talk about this sequence as much. Like the, 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 the final edit of this movie when he's kind of all the Hitler footage sort of spliced together and he's kind of like spoilers. He's like shooting the guy. It's like, I it's love like, that fucking scene. It's gut wrenching. It's Absolutely gut wrenching. Yeah. It's like, it's Bob Fosse level editing where it's just like some of the best editing I've ever seen in a movie. And. Yeah, I mean, Bill. I think I feel like Bill's pick might be better in terms of anti-war because it's not so on the nose. Because like, whenever someone brings up anti-war, it's like, oh, come and see is like the obvious. But like, I think nonetheless, one one of the great films of the '80s, and I I'm dying to see The Ascent, which is directed by Elmore Kimoff's wife. Oh man, uh, right? Which mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if that was on one of your guys' list in the '70s, but nonetheless, like. Amazing. Yeah. It was in, um, it was it was on my seventies list. Right, right. Totally. Yeah. To me that's a fucking um, masterpiece, man. I'm I have no doubt that that you'll love it. I I can't guarantee you'll say it's a masterpiece, but I know that you're that, that you would love it. Totally, yeah. And last thing I'll say, like the fact that the director of Cut retired after this movie, um I like I, I don't want to butcher the quote, but he I think he said something along the lines of like, I don't think I could ever make a film. This is like all of my artistic endeavors thrown into one film and like I don't think I'll ever get better than that. So might as well like retire on top. Which is kind of a shame in certain ways. Like I haven't seen his other films, I'm sure they're great, but imagine what he would have done post come and see, like with the juices yeah. of making a movie that visceral. He would have made world. something very wholesome. He would have made Jack and Jill. Maybe. He would have made a free guy, yeah. <laughs> Adam Sandler in uh, Magic Women Come and See. Yep. Um, Duke, uh, real quick, yeah, Come and See is like one of the greatest films of all time for me. I adore, obviously. It's, oh my God, yeah, this role is, is the best way to describe it and very, very, very disturbing. Yeah, I just recently rewatched Come and See with a buddy of mine. He's not a movie fan necessarily, but we were very drunk, and he said, "Man, I we gotta watch Come and See." I'm like, "Do you want the vibe to be brought down?" <laughs> and he's like, "I know, I know this movie's good. I gotta see it." And so we we watched it, and you know what? The vibe was actually still great he still loved he absolutely loved the movie a lot and uh i'm glad it just goes to show that even when you're drunk and watched the greasy strangler you can watch come and see right after and still be (laughs) mesmerized from it your friend your friend sounds based i'm not gonna lie oh yeah he also (laughs) his top cherish his top 10 includes harakiri also and uh nice it's amazing parasite I want a friend that that gets drunk and's like, yo, I gotta watch, watch Cup of Tea. <laughs> Funny enough, I would be the one to be like, let's watch something a little bit lighter if like, we're like drinking together. But like, that sounds like a fun experience, nonetheless. Yeah. So that shout, like a wild. shout out to Ethan if you're listening yeah. here, bro. He 
He also did the same thing with Ichi the Killer. He's like, it's got a cum, it's got a cum pool title sequence. We gotta watch that. <laughs> oh, that's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. I think I think next he's gonna get drunk and be like, yo, we we gotta watch Irreversible, bro. <laughs> no, we're done. I'm drawing the line there. Or Showa. Neither of those. I remember I watched I watched Climax with two of my friends the other like a few weeks ago and we were kind of drunk and that was like such a fun experience. Yeah, like, I was gonna say that that actually sounds like a fun experience watching that fucking drunk. Yeah, when you're when you're like a few beers deep, like you're riding the wave of Gaspar Noe's insanity in that movie, and you're like maybe do an acid during this movie would be even better. But hell yeah, um, um, I'm actually gonna watch. Uh, uh, um, irreversible tomorrow in 35 millimeter theater yeah, screening. Lucky. Oh yeah. wow, nice. Yeah, that's gonna be an interesting experience. <laughs> I'm um, waiting for my vinegar syndrome to show. It's not actually vinegar syndrome; it's one of the partner labels, but that's gonna have to be my, re- my replacement instead. I'm watching it. I don't know how many people are gonna show up. They played it once already on Monday. I don't know how the turnout was for that. But I don't know. Um, I heard some people on the website of the theater. They were, like, talking in the comment section. There's a bunch of people that are like, oh, I'm surprised that they're even playing this movie. It's just, like, way too, you know, like, triggering or whatever. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I mean, personally, I would love to see in a packed crowd. That seems like a film that I would like to see in a packed crowd. <laughs> so... Yeah. When the movie ends, you could stand up and be like, everyone check out my analyzed video of the fire extinguisher <laughs> scene. Subscribe to the channel. <laughs> actually check have out a, movies scene you love. Movies you love. <laughs> we got a fire we got a we got a fire hydrant situation. Situation <laughs> here. <laughs> How uh, many atheists you think they killed with a <laughs> fire hydrant? <laughs> How many atheists got killed during the screening of Irreversible? Well, a 35 millimeter. How many, <laughs> how many atheists you think walked down the red tunnel? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, Jake. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, I had to do it to him. Should I cut that out? Is that like some? Did you just <laughs> curse the podcast? I mean... <laughs> I have no idea what that reference was to. It's so funny. <laughs> TLDR in joke in another podcast. Yeah. Oh, okay. keep it. That's literally what it is. It's, it's, it. it's Brett Keen. Keep it. All right. Brett Keen more. No, no, I, 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 I believe you. <laughs> uh, anyway, who's next? Come and pee. That should be the title of the pod like, instead, you know? Yeah, it's called like Come and Pee. Come and Pee, the best of the 80s with Bill Griff. <laughs> Come and Pee to listen to Bill Griff say ASMR. <laughs> uh, who, yeah, who was next? Was it, it was you, Carlos, yeah. Oh, shit. All right. So, like Bill Griff, I'm also going to be picking a Japanese film. Um... This is a film that I unfortunately don't own on Blu-ray yet because it's part of a a box set um, for Arrow, I believe. And uh, I just I haven't been brave enough to spend money on the box set. But that film is called Tetsuo the Iron Man. Um, this film is, I mean, 
I watched this film in preparation for like a disturbing slash horror movies video that I was going to make. Um, and I did not expect this film to blow me the fuck away in the way that it did. Uh, this is a film that is mind blowingly created and expertly crafted. Um, I mean, the editing in this film is, I, I get, it's unbelievable how much time is spent on the editing to this film. Um, and it's just so visceral and boundary pushing and abstract and, and ways terrifying and ways comedic. Um, it's just such a brilliant piece of bizarre metaphorical horror that is just, you know, it's, it's, it's amplified by its wonderful creative vision. Um, especially for a low budget film, this film was made for a, a with a really low budget. And again, a lot of the special effects and the prop work and the production design and again, the, the, the amount of, again, the amount of time and creative effort that was poured into the editing is absolutely insane. It's a huge reason as to why this film works so well. Um, and yeah, like, there's just so many scenes in this movie that I just think are unlike anything you'll ever see in any film. Um, you know, in the beginning, not the beginning, but like in the first act of this movie, you get this, you get this, like, this, like, hallway chase. All of a sudden, you get a chase sequence. And what it leads to, is like one of the most bizarre, like sexual assault slash like rape type scenes that is just like oh my god, it's just unlike anything that you've seen portrayed in that way. And to me, it's brilliant. Like I mean, it's not it's not like as difficult to watch as like most sexual assault scenes, in my opinion. Um. I mean, I don't know. It depends, really. I think, I think, I forgot who it was, but somebody watched this film based on my rec, and they were like, what the fuck? You didn't tell me about this. So they were kind of upset. Oh. But, but in my opinion, like, compared to stuff that I've seen, it's, it, like, what's more jarring about it is just how bizarre it is, more than, like, the violent act itself, in my opinion, uh, because it's just so out there and so creative. Um, but I love it. Like, it's just, like, that was, that scene, that, that's one of my favorite scenes of the movie. It's just so fucking great. Um, but yeah, I I love this one to death. This is a, it, it's it's certainly experimental. It's almost in the same vein as like something like Eraserhead. Um, it's also in black and white too. Um, but Tim, I don't know, they're both batshit. Both Tetsuo and Eraserhead are both absolutely batshit films. Um but it's definitely experimental in a, in, a, in a very similar kind of way. It's very metaphorical, um, excellent prop work, excellent editing and everything like that. So, yeah, I I highly recommend Tetsuo, the Iron Man, obviously. I heard the second one's also really good, too. So um, I, I'm just going to eventually fork up the money. But the next Arrow Cell, I might just go ahead and get the the, the box set. I forgot the filmmaker. I love the movie so much, but I forgot, how to, I forgot the filmmaker's name. Um, so like yeah. Shinya, I can't. I don't want to butcher his last name, but yeah, that's Shinya Sukamoto. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, he has his own box set for Arrow that I, I really at this point I really want to get. So, oh nice. Um, I, I'll be getting that soon. But yeah, if nobody's seen the film yet, please go out and see it. It's, I mean, if you're not into like batshit experimental cinema, then don't really bother. But like, if that's if that's your vibe and you just really appreciate films like that, um. 
check it out. I mean, if, even if you really love horror in general, like you just love horror films, I say fuck it. Why not? Just give it a shot. Um, but yeah, that's my that's my number three, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Love that pick. Some of the best, like most insane camera work I've ever seen in a film. I remember. And like the the whole cyberpunk design of this whole world, and like the the honestly, it's a blur to me. This movie, I don't remember most of what happened, but I just remember the visceral experience that it gave yeah. me, and how just how wild of a the craftsmanship of it is, you know. Yep. Um, totally a movie worth buying on Arrow because like like it's an it's an auditory like visual experience where like enhanced. It's just so enhanced by great visuals and audio. It's just such a... Yeah. It's one of those movies that, like, I think most people are going to watch it and not understand exactly what they watched (laughs) because it is very experimental in that way. But, like you said, it's it's such an immersive experience because of the visuals and because of the sound and because of the editing and just the, the, the presentation overall. It just... It's such a... It's such an absorbing type of, like, horror experience that... Even if you don't really like get anything that you saw, you're still gonna come out of it be like being kind of wild by it. Totally. I don't know if you guys saw Mad God that came out last year, but that could be a that very similar sensation. It's where it was so abstract and and like crazy, but it it kind of the craftsmanship of it all and how it made me feel was what drove like the substance of that movie, and I felt the same way of Tetsuo. So. I feel like oh, I would right. like Mad yeah. God. You, Mad God is definitely Carlos core. If you ask me, <laughs> it is. It's totally Carlos core. But I agree. Hell yeah! Have, have y'all seen uh, Tetsuo, Bill, and Blair? I have. Yeah, I've not seen Tetsuo. I thought it was pretty good. I I don't know if I'd put it on my top five eighties list, but I think that makes up for my possession pick and your. You know, <laughs> so. I pick possession, you pick Tetsuo. It's like we're we're even now. Yeah, they are. Oh, yeah. They are in a way like in a similar spirit at filmmaking. <laughs> True. Um, they yeah. they really are. Yeah, I agree. I feel like I'd love it, but I just have not seen it for some reason. I have no idea why. Dude, to me, to me, it's also like Blearcore. So I, I believe it. it. I absolutely believe it. The great movie. Pro tip, if you want to buy the arrow, like, during the Barnes & Noble sale, it, all arrows are, like, half off, I believe, as well. So um, if anyone wants to, or if you want to buy the the, the set. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, Bill, you're next, or Blair, sorry, you're next, right? Yeah. 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 All right, so this movie is a movie I I watched recently within the last uh, two months. Yeah, um, so this is Blowout by um, Brian De Palma. So the first time I watched this, I liked it. I liked it a lot, actually. But um, this second time, I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, it's a movie that really does feel like an – like it really feels like the 80s style. But the way it was expertly made by Brian De Palma, I think – really elevates it and also has my personal favorite performance by John Travolta. Um, Obviously it goes without saying the sound design for this movie is like God tier. It, I'm really, 
big on sound and there's just so many great little details and moments that are just um conveyed with the sound and um the whole conspiracy angle is just so fascinating to watch unravel um as far as off the top of my head it's my favorite movie based off of a conspiracy um just because i love the way that john travolta figures out this whole mystery and the kind of lengths and um all the obstacles thrown in his way it's really uh amazingly done and i get that the movie has like some like logical inconsistencies i guess like i've heard complaints about that but due to the style it's like not a big deal to me at all like for what it makes up with and like for what it lacks in its i guess logical conclusions i think more it makes up with in its style and its directing and acting um and cinematography um yeah uh if you haven't seen this movie of course i definitely highly recommend it it's it's um it's not an action movie but like i get that kind of uh excitement and almost like adrenaline while watching this movie the the third the third i definitely does have a kind of um faster paced almost action kind of thing going on but um yeah overall it's really riveting in my opinion i don't i don't know how how much you guys like uh blowout but to me it's fucking phenomenal i think blowout is a great example of the 80s thriller genre that came to fruition it it hits all those bars and hits them quite well in my opinion Uh, also it tackles the themes of conspiracy so well i think that not many films have done quite well like i i'm the only film that comes to mind that harkens to this is the conversation which is another film i know that blair likes so it yeah blowout is a great film i'm glad you had this on your list oh yeah yeah. it's it's one of my favorite films of all time and i almost brought it up but i saw you had it and i kind of you know (laughs) wanted to pawn it off to you um thank you i think blowout's my second favorite brian de palma film it's Scarface is my number one still. I know it's cliche, but I can't help it. I love that movie. It's so hard to rank De Palma, but like Blowout, like for me, it's Blowout, Carrie, and um, I mean Scarface. There's so many, but Blowout's like, like you were saying with the conspiracy angle, like it's so smartly, like comments on like it's like kind of like pre. I don't know if it's pre or post Reagan and stuff, but like. Um, Watergate and all that stuff and like kind of like interference meddling with elections like it's kind of a precursor to like all these crazy conspiracy movies that would come later but like it does it in such a digestible human like storytelling method of just like John Travolta is such a relatable like everyman character Um, and I always love the scene in Blowout when they they just go to a bar in the middle of like this crazy thriller and like talk for 10 minutes and you kind of learn that what John Travolta's backstory is and like her backstory, like it's such a confident movie in my opinion. Like Blair was saying, like it's so entertaining and so well paced and so riveting. Um, yeah, I love it. I love it to death. Um, if you wouldn't have taken it, I would have taken it as well. It's a, one of my favorite movies. And we lost Carlos. Oh no. Yeah, yeah don't worry about it. Just, just keep going. <laughs> just keep going. I'll figure um, it out. One last thing I want to say is, like, even yeah. though I think uh, De Palma's direction is immaculate in the movie, I I think it would be 
way lessened if John Travolta wasn't the star of the movie. Cause he, Amazing, yeah. Like, it just fits his fucking, like, acting so well. It's fucking perfect for him. And he's so believable and so entertaining. Like, it, he, he never uh, undersells, like, a line. A, any line in this movie is delivered so well from uh, from Travolta. Totally agree. I remember I heard Tarantino say, like, uh, John Travolta in Blowout's one of the greatest performances on film. And I hadn't seen Blowout. I'm like, there's no way. It's like, it's John Travolta. Um, and still kind of a far-fetched comment, but, like, I when I saw the movie, I was like, holy shit, like, one of the best performances in any, like, thriller, thriller from that era, no doubt. And I also wanted to talk about the opening scene of that movie is is so fucking Oh, I cool. love that. <laughs> the fake-out horror movie, like, just... Yeah, God. it's funny too. It has. I, I yeah. love the sense of humor to blow out. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's, De Palma's always had a weird comedic edge to all of his movies. Even Scarface is kind of like so operatic and and over the top. Like I, I laugh at Scarface as well. Oh, dude, same. Um, <laughs> um, sorry about my camera, by the way. Fucking, you're good. Sorry, my battery yeah. died. It's when it's plugged in the computer. It's supposed to stay charged, but I don't know. Decided to fuck me. I guess <laughs> your video is fucked. <laughs> I was I was alone for a second on screen. I guess. <laughs> I mean, uh, oh, yeah. If uh, if um, the battery, the new battery, I put in dies again, I'll I'll just I'll just pull out my phone. And I'll just do it old fashioned style. Oh wow! Nice. Give give us the house tour. Walk around. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, Carlos, off yeah. topic, but when are you gonna do your uh? Your your live stream with the, that Criterion wall because that's looking pretty uh out of place. Is like <laughs> I see do the right thing right in the middle. Like that makes no sense at all. <laughs> wow, you orga- how do you organize those? It's not organized at all. It's, ca- it's he chaos. literally just throws them in. Like it's, yeah. it's so. Buy a new one and throw it in. It's no, here's such an eyesore. <laughs> here's the wow. thing here's the thing they were all arranged alphabetically at one point and then when i did the criterion collection video with uh with perry and blair uh i just i, I it just got all fucked the order got all fucked and i at the moment i didn't feel like putting him back in order again and i just threw them all on the shelf and i told my <laughs> I, I i told myself that i would get i would do it like the next day and i never did ever since i just never fucking done it but bill gave me a great idea he said i should live stream uh organizing the shelf and i think that'll be fun because i could talk yeah, about yeah. like the movies like while i do it yeah that's a good idea makes it it's such Turn a chore doing that yeah monetize <laughs> that shit <laughs> anyhow um uh blair or sorry bill your turn yes yes all right it's not an 80s list without the man, the myth, the legend himself. You know, I ha- Carlos, I had to do it to you. I know this is a meme. I know you you, you notoriously kind of hate uh, this film to an extent. Uh, but I know it's coming. I love this film. This is actually my most rewatched film on Letterboxd. It is my go-to Tinder date movie. This is 1986's Blue Velvet from David Lynch. <laughs> I like <laughs> I like Blue Velvet. What do you mean, man? <laughs> I mean, your your Criterion Hall's big to differ, man. Yeah, if anyone's seen your videos, I feel like 
you treat yeah. that you treat that shit like he's Connor Roy, dude. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. is it was always in my maybe pile. That's something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Blue Velvet. What is there to to say about it that hasn't been said already? It's it's Lynch in his prime. It is so unorthodox. It is like a it pays homage to Hitchcock thrillers, but it. I love this letterbox review. I'm just gonna just say what what it was. It's where it's a Hitchcock thriller, but if Hitchcock was possessed by a demonic incubus, and that's exactly what Blue Velvet is. Yeah. Tom McLaughlin with his lovely little earring comes back home <laughs> to Lumberton <laughs> because his father has a stroke and you know just stumbles upon an ear in a field and that leads him to many fun adventures, many loss of innocence and an out fucking standing performance from Dennis Hopper as the antagonist Frank Booth, Mr. Franklin Booth himself, a guy who you only wish to never meet in your lifetime. He's that guy that 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 is the stuff of nightmares. In my opinion, he's one of the best antagonists ever put to film. I'll say it. I'll say it. He's better than Heath Ledger's Joker. I'm saying it right now. Yeah, I know. Shocking. (laughs) He's better than TikTok's... (laughs) He's better than TikTok's most voted uh, scariest movie to watch at night by yourself, Shutter Island. You know? (laughs) Blue Velvet is just such an incredible film that I adore greatly and is one of the best Freudian slip films to watch too. Ooh. So yeah, that's, that's blue velvet. What do you got? Carlos, what do you think about yeah, blue velvet? Uh, our opinion doesn't matter. It's only Carlos's <laughs> blue velvet. It's a great movie. All right. <laughs> I don't believe um, that. Um, <laughs> blue velvet. No, like the thing is like with, with blue velvet, i I really dig the movie, but since, like, I feel like since I'm not on the masterpiece train, I get viewed as somebody who just doesn't really give a shit about it, but I do, like, everything that Bill said, I pretty much agree with, like, Dennis Hopper in the film is, like, he gets a performance that's unlike any other, honestly, it's such a unique, outlandish uh, at times comedic, but at times the most disturbing performance you'll, you've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like Lynch's ability to kind of like blend surrealness and blend the uh, suburban America with like a dark, with a more like darker uh, shadow of society that are like side by side with each other, I think is really, really great. Um, yeah. Look, I really, really like the film. I, I, I do. I mean, eventually I bought it. After like 800 times putting it in the maybe pile, I eventually bought it. Uh, but I'm just not like necessarily on the masterpiece train. Like there's a few things about it that I'm not necessarily huge on. Um, mostly has to do with like writing, uh, like some of the dialogue here and there. Hey, there it is. Represent. Look how gorgeous that, this cover, the, the whole packaging oh. of this movie. If they do a 4K Fucking. HDR, I'm double dipping the shit out of that thing. Ugh. Same, same here. 
I'm about to get it so I can prove. Carlos is, is is all. Yeah, good luck like, trying to find it. There's like scorch marks on it. <laughs> he spit on it when he brought it home. <laughs> spit on it. <laughs> do you do you use that? Do you use that criterion to level your camera when you film vlogs here? <laughs> 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 Oh, well, man. Is that also your coaster you use on the Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like the cinnamon raisin bagel of your collection there. The one that some you people use that. <laughs> it makes oh. a good paperweight. <laughs> oh, God. No. Um, oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, now, really, the main issues I have with it come down to writing and here and there, and then. Some parts of it that, but this is like a similar thing I have with Lynch, like in most of his movies, even though I really love most of his stuff, there's just something about some of his movies where like he's going for something that is profound or scary. And to me, sometimes it just comes off corny. Um, Like, like with the ending of, of Blue Velvet, something about it don't sit right with me. Like it just feels like it just, I don't know. Like I get what it's going for thematically. Thematically and narratively, but something about it, it just it's not it's not it's not hitting right. <laughs> um and now I watched it twice and I felt I felt the same way the second time. But I still really like the movie. I I think it gave it a soft eight, and I think that's that's about right mm. for me. You must you mm. must love Heineken, don't you? <laughs> Fuck that <Yeah>. shit. Pass <laughs> blue ribbon. Uh so do you, do you prefer, like, David Lynch's Dune over that in your Lynch ranking? Oh, hell I'd love, no. I'd love to see your Lynch ranking. Oh, my God. I yeah. hate I hate David Lynch's Dune. <laughs> I straight up hate it. <laughs> I just feel it's so yeah. fucking boring and just bad. I just, ugh. That's yeah, a rough one for sure. Um, I love the movie, too. I, I, it's a 10 out of 10. So I, don't, I have nothing to add. I think Bill beautifully... Summed it up. So, mm-hmm. hashtag PBR. Uh, yeah. So hell yeah. Um, my turn. My number two. I'll be quick about this shit because this was one of my comfort films. Uh, my top two films are very you know personal movies uh, as always. But uh, uh, Studio Ghibli, Totoro. I talked about it already, but yes. Um. Again, like. Aside from all the shit I said about how much it means to me, I think, I think I would show any every any kid this movie in any context because I think, I mean, similar to what you were saying about learning about the world, I feel like um, with Grave of the Fireflies, I feel like Totoro teaches kids about like, um, self agency and like kind of being uh, independent because like a lot a big theme of the movie is like learning how to cope without your parents around um, and that like kind of mirroring the fact of like how kids love to be adults and everything. Um, And I remember truly being a kid and learning a lot of shit watching this movie. Uh, Like a lot of, not maybe not like, you know, pen to paper, like remembering certain lessons this movie gave me, but you know, um, this is one of the first early movies I remember just like thinking about other things other than this plot of the movie, you know? And what what else can I say? I mean, it's like their logo is Totoro. I feel like it kind of sums up Studio Ghibli's whole mission um, of making movies that appeal to kids, but also to adults. Like I, 
I, I truly love Miyazaki more as an adult than I did as a kid. Um, at this point, uh, I feel like even certain films like Porco Rosso or like uh, Princess Mononoke with really adult themes and really kind of violent um, undertones to it are movies you can appreciate when you're older. But I, there's something about the simplicity of Totoro that I've always gravitated to and how I truly find new things under the surface every time. And it's, I think it's super hilarious and heartwarming. The music's incredible by Joe, by Joe, my man Joe. And yeah, that's really it. I mean, it's, I, I, I think it's, I'm a huge animation fan and like I've, I've tried to kind of make a list of like what I think the quintessential animations of all time are. And obviously there's a lot of Japanese ones. Um, and without trying to be like cooler, obscure, I think Totoro is like the best kids film of all time and still what and above that one of the greatest animations of all time so um that's that's why it's made the list and and the fucking cat bus i'm just staring at it on the blu-ray um there's certain things in this movie that just i i don't think i'll ever get over being so beautiful and comforting to me so yeah um what y'all think of totoro it's fantastic I haven't seen it in such a long time, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's been like at least five years since I've seen it, so um See, uh, I, it was definitely a cozy a cozy film that I loved. It's one of my blind spots for Ghibli, so I don't never seen it. Wow. See I'm I'm the opposite. I'm the opposite of Carlos. I only just recently saw Totoro maybe maybe two months ago, a little less than two months ago. And I think you're right, Jake, because even as an adult, you can still feel emotionally moved from this film and just appreciate how incredible it is. I I, I agree. I think it's one of the best in Ghibli's filmography. Yeah, it, I think high marks, obviously. Like, it's a hard to – their body of work so incredible. Um but like of all the movies I picked, like I, I wanted to pick something that's like kind of just timeless, completely timeless outside of the eighties. That's kind of resonating with like Nuke. When I saw the the re-release for the the Fathom Event thing at AMC, like there were so many little kids seeing this movie for the first time, and I was like, oh hell yeah! Like parents of our generation are going to show their kids, and hopefully, like that becomes their new you know go-to comfort movie in this life. You know, it's definitely still one of mine. So. And Blair, I, I highly recommend that you give this a watch a, as soon as possible. If you if you're if you're interested in it, you know. Of course, you're talking to the resident weeb the the <laughs> Of course, I'm very uh, <clears throat> interested in watching that. Awesome. Um. Well, that's my number two. Uh, Carlos, I'm sure yours is going to be like way darker than Totoro, so I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> I mean, I guess this is, movie isn't like totally. Well, I don't know. It, it does get pretty dark, but overall, totally, it's not that dark. It's actually more comedic than anything. Um, but yeah, I'm really, really excited to talk about this film. I feel like I don't talk about this film a lot on my channel. Um, but this is a film that is written and directed by Terry Gilliam, and it's Brazil. Um. This to me is 
the best social satire I've ever seen put to film. It's it's really like a, a dystopian social satire, and it's like every single aspect of this movie is incredibly impressive. Whether it whether it be like just from a production and set design standpoint, and all of the creativity that was poured into building the world and all the prop work, um, but also just like in terms of the dialogue and in terms of all the situations that our main character, uh, played by Jonathan Price, everything that he encounters, everything has basically, is basically a piece of commentary on society or is a philosophical piece on society or a philosophical piece on humanity. And it's either presented, and I mean, most of it is presented in a comedic way and it really really, really works. I mean, there's things about this film that, like, was way, like, like way ahead of its time. Um, like, there, there's this whole, like, plastic surgery, you know, type of element to it that, you know, kind of predicted, in my opinion, like, the rise of, like, the reliance on plastic surgery, um, especially from, like, the wealthy. Um, but, yeah, this film is just, like, Again, like in terms of world building, it just feels so vast. Um, and this is a film that we, we were talking about Blowout earlier being being a uh, uh, conspiracy film. This is also like 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 a conspiracy film in a lot of ways. Um, it's a lot. Again, it's a it's a social satire, so a lot of its commentary um, not only comes from human beings and how we interact in social situations and things like that, but a lot of it comes down to. Um, you know, how the government basically dictates our lives and confines us in a way to where our our free will is basically is basically caged. Um and like there's this gigantic theme in the movie, like in our main like with our main character, how you know his desire is to essentially escape the confines of society so he can basically achieve his dream of having, you know, a partner for life and um you know, just kind of living his life in, in a state of relaxation and pleasure that's away from the confines of society. But, you know, it's film in a lot of ways demonstrates how society not only confines you, but your family and society mixed in with your family expects you to do a lot of different things. And anything that you don't do, I mean, basically anything that you do outside of those expectations is demonized and discouraged. Um, but most of this film, I'm telling you, is comedic as hell. Like, yeah, you can read into it the way that I am, but, like, at the end of the day, this film is also just a really cleverly written comedy that's directed beautifully. Uh, the camera work throughout this film is absolutely wonderful, and the way that the, the score is incorporated, um, honestly, it's iconic. Like, the dun-dun-dun... Dun, da, 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 da. Mm. Like that classic, like melody that you hear, like the way that's incorporated into this film is um, just so brilliant. Um, yeah, I I fucking love this movie to death. Uh, Robert De Niro is actually also in this film. We've, we 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 talked oh, a lot yeah. about him tonight. Um, he also makes an appearance in this film. I mean, he's not like a he's not like that significant. I mean, actually, when it comes to the plot, he is a little bit significant but like in terms of screen time like he's not really in the movie much um but uh yeah just this this movie is just really great it's also a good 
exploration of um, bureaucracy and how like everything that you want to do in life requires like 18 steps and requires a bunch of like verifications from higher ups. Like you got to fill out a form for literally every, like every little thing that you need to do. Um, I just love the way it explores that and how, especially like in the very beginning of this film, it explores how like the, the tiniest mistake, um, you know, from somebody upstairs can basically completely ruin somebody's life. That's like, just like trying to live their life. Like the, like the simplest typo on a piece of paper costs somebody to go to jail. Um, you know, I just love how it explores how the more we move, the, the more that we move towards this regulatory direction where everything, every little aspect of life is regulated, makes it to where, like, um, you know, our, our, our free will and our will to live a decent life becomes basically impossible. Um, but anyway, I feel like I talked way too much. But I, I never get to talk about this movie, so it's sure. Uh, it's awesome that you know I finally had a chance to, to talk about it. I I'm in love with this film. I think it's brilliant from start to finish. To me, it's a masterpiece. I I love it. Nice. I sadly haven't seen Brazil yet, so I I, I I can't add anything. I, every Terry Gilliam film, I've seen a lot of his films before, just not Brazil yet. So I don't know why. Um, but my roommate, Brendan, that's like one of his favorite films of all time. And he's been really pushing for me to watch it. So I think it's time after after you put it in the top five, like it, it's high on my watch list now for sure. Um, yeah, please, so please watch. I it. will. I will. Amazing. I don't know. Brazil, about, yep, go ahead. Brazil was the second criterion I ever picked up. And I think it is Gilliam's one of his best films for sure. Yeah, De Niro has such an odd performance in that. He's basically like a secret agent plumber is how I could best <laughs> describe him. Yeah, yeah, he's exactly what he is. He's like one of the – he's the third Mario bro who comes to Tresden. <laughs> he's, he's like Mario and Luigi's cousin. Yeah. Robert he, De Niro could actually low-key play a great Mario. <laughs> it's a me, yeah. <laughs> And then Al Pacino could be Luigi for sure. Holy fuck. That's how it's based. <laughs> Oaked out Luigi. By the way, she, I'm... Got, a, she got a great uh, Koopa. <laughs> <laughs> she got a great peach. <laughs> there you go. By the way, I don't know why I uh, I, I held up the Normie Blu-ray. I had the yeah, I was going to say, where's the, yeah, where's the... <laughs> like, damn, all right. <laughs> it's no, so I blurry, the... I can't even see it, to be honest. But... Oh, really? That. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think the focus is off ever since the camera shut off. Oh, is my since... is my face out of focus? Yeah, a little bit. I meant to say, but you were on such a roll with Brazil. I don't want to interrupt. But ever since we talked shit about your Criterion shelf, the the camera has been focused on that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that why you pointed it out? You're like, what the fuck's going on with your shelf, bro? Now there's a weird camera. Oh, you, you got you got some kind of square. I don't know. Okay. Oh, it's gone. Oh, it's gone now. Some am unfriended, I, yeah. Am I boring? That's some unfriended shit. Now? Yeah, you're good. You're good. You're good. Hold cool. up the Blu-ray now. Okay. Base. Holds it up and just morphs into blue velvet. <laughs> yep. It's like, all right, we're good. <laughs> Damn, I just I just talked about Brazil and with nothing but blurry image. I know. I, <laughs> my bad. I should have told you. It's all right. We'll, we'll make do. We'll make the do. world. The world will 
we'll fucking move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah. Is any other thoughts in Brazil from anyone? Blair hasn't seen. No, Blair, you have seen it. Uh, I love the Brazil. It's a very amazing masterpiece. Oh, well, yes. the Brazil. Uh, the yeah, Brazil. The, the Brazil. Oh, yes. Fantastic. The Brazil mm. country, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a masterpiece country. <laughs> I've always wondered, like, if the movie has anything to do with the country. I I literally don't know anything about, like, the movie whatsoever until you just... Yeah. Except for what you said. I don't know if, if Brazil plays a part or not. I don't know if that's a spoiler. I mean, I can tell you what I think it means. I mean, it's not really, like... It's not a spoiler with the plot or anything. Basically, like, to simply put, at least in my opinion, it's basically, like, the main character's, like, desired location because, in his mind, that's, like, a complete break away from society, basically. Okay. That, okay. That's the way I, I interpret it. But yeah, it's Terry Gilliam. You can interpret, I feel like, a lot of his intentions in different ways, but I can see that. Having not seen any of the movie, but... Okay. Uh, that's a very Carlos number pick for the top two. Uh, Blair, what's your number two? All right, so mm, my number two is a movie that I haven't. You guys are gonna have to forgive me because I have not seen this movie in a very long time. Um, and that movie is uh Milos Forman's Amadeus. I think it's like to me, and I know you guys are probably going to hella disagree with me but i think it i think it's at least very much up there in terms of like the best period pieces like Barry Lyndon like to me there's two greatest period pieces and that's uh, Barry Lyndon and Amadeus both of them are incredible but obviously i'm here to talk about Amadeus so uh i love how fucking epic this movie the movie feels like it has a great sense of like scale to the movie. I can't really describe. It's just all the costuming and the setting. Uh, there's like a particular opera kind of scene that, that sticks out of my head that has insane production design. Like probably some of the best production design I've, I've ever seen in any movie. Um, and I really love, uh, the main performance by, uh, uh, F. John Murray is my pronoun. Murray name. Abraham. And Murray yep. Abraham. Sorry, it's late. <laughs> <You're good. laughs> my yeah, brain's rotting. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think I think it's a I think it's a great decision to have the per, the perspective be from him and not uh, Mozart. If you know the movie, you know that the movie is mostly about Abraham's uh, character Salieri, who has like this kind of envious view of Mozart and how he's just this fucking prodigy that is absolutely untouched. And Mozart is this like very childish um man who just shits out masterpieces. Like he he's a yeah. fucking uh he's this fucking like um I, I I don't know the word right now, but he's like this fucking crazy dude who just has like a party night uh, hedonistic mentality yeah. throughout the almost the whole course of the movie and can just shit out these like amazing pieces and uh at like nothing meanwhile uh Salieri is like working effortless, effortless 
I'm sorry. He's working so tirelessly yeah. uh, to achieve the same level that Mozart does. Um, but he's not and, very good. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not. He's like he will just never achieve that that level, no matter how much yeah. he put puts forth into it. And uh, yeah, like I said, it's been a very long time since I've seen it, but I definitely think that this movie is like easily one of the best movies of the 80s um i'm really happy that it won uh best picture and i bet it was fucking mind-blowing to see it like the time it was released because yeah um definitely i think it's one of the best of the 80s i would agree it's a great pick dude i love it's that movie beautiful so film yeah i didn't know that you that you'd seen it uh carlos i you probably reviewed it and i just forgot because it's been so long but yeah i did review it it's amazing I, what did I, I think I gave it a nine. I don't think I gave it a ten. Did I? I don't remember. But yeah, it's uh, let's just say it's it's masterful film. <laughs> it's amazing. Awesome. I'm happy to hear that. I think what makes it so unique, I think above from the period piece aspect and how gorgeous the production is, is what you said about being the perspective of Salieri. Mm-hmm. It's like we we talked about biopics more than I thought we would this episode, but like yeah, you're right. From the perspective of this kind of like shriveling, just like kind of envious asshole mm-hmm. the whole movie. And like um sometimes you do get in his headspace and you're like, wow, Mozart's just like a clownish kind of like he doesn't understand the power he wields. So you kind of sympathize with him to a point. Um obviously till the end when it gets like really crazy, but it's such an interesting perspective because like I can't think of any other movies that have been made since then of like that are about like someone so ultra famous and in the zeitgeist of like you know all every you know he inspired music pretty much to a t and then it's about like his competitor it's like such an interesting perspective that i adore that movie um yeah. i haven't seen it in years either i need to rewatch it me too it's way due for a re- rewatch i love the uh i love the um dynamic between uh Solieri and mozart because it's like it's one of those things to where you kind of have a choice in life. You could either admire somebody who is that much of a prodigy, or you can become insanely envious and hate them. Um, yeah. And obsessed. He's just obsessed the whole obsessed. movie. Yeah, yeah. The, really, the yeah. movie is like mostly about his obsession to be as great as Mozart and like surpass him. For sure. Yeah. Make a legacy for himself rather than Mozart. Totally. It's also a great like demonstration on how some people are born just naturally talented in that way, and some people you could have all the education you want and learn every in and out, but sometimes you're just not as good as the fucking person that for some reason can like Blair said to shit out masterpieces. So. Yeah. And it's oh. a shit, shitty aspect of life, but it just is what it is. Mm-hmm. There's there's one little detail about. Well, there's one detail about the movie that I really uh, enjoy. Like, even in the movie, there are, like, scenes where I think it's Mozart where he's, like, performing these, like, uh, these, like, plays that are made for, like, <laughs> made for, like, un uh, uncultured people. Like, I guess, like, for normies, oh, yeah. for lack yeah, of a better yeah. word. And I, I don't know. I just like how that's even expressed in the movie that there are, like, higher... Um, more layered art and then there's like yeah. art for the masses i guess there's so that's many aspects of that movie yeah there's so many aspects like that that are so damn timeless like i remember there's a scene where 
I think when Mozart's dying and Salieri is like helping him with his with his final piece, mm-hmm. and he's like trying to, um, I think he's trying to help it, like replicate Mozart's uh, music and like, and he's he, like he goes they go through this frustrating process where he's like I can't do it I literally can't, and it's like so frustrating on his and even when he's like dying he can't live up to this man's like artistry, yeah. Um, which is such a timeless thing, you know. I feel like yep. you could compare that to like modern artists and filmmakers, musicians, whatever. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely deserved best picture for sure when that came out. I remember that that won like a fuck ton of Oscars, I think, when it came out. So yeah, that's a, yeah. I didn't expect you to pick that to be honest. So I'm I'm happy. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, if you guys didn't snatch up. Um... Paris, Texas, or come and see. I'd probably go with one of those two, but Amadeus is like a good, you know, one to replace them with to me. Agreed, man. I, I definitely agree. All right, folks, we're at our number one films. Spicy um, time. Spicy time. <laughs> I don't know how that started as a, as a thing. Um, <laughs> but Bill Griff, our, our wonderful, wonderful guest of honor today, what's your number one of the... 1980s decade. I'd like to say just before I reveal my number one that out of all these films in this whole list, all these lists, I've not seen Amadeus yet, and I will get onto it shortly someday. Yes, yes, yes. Because I've heard it's fantastic, and I know my dad loved that movie quite a lot. So another great dad movie. Yeah. Yep. Speaking of dads, this is. My number one film, a dad, a dad vibe, I would say. This is Cinema Paradiso from Giuseppe Torrentore. It's, what can I say? It's a love letter to cinema. It really is. It is about Toto, a little boy who goes to the cinema as often as he can and forms a relationship with the projectionist, Alfredo a father figure to him that eventually um, forces him out of the town to pursue his dreams of being a filmmaker. And he does. We see Toto's life through three stages in this film, through his childhood, his young adulthood, pursuing love and heartbreak. And finally, as a sort of old man, a successful filmmaker reflecting on his past and reflecting on his relationship with Alfredo and how he introduced him to the art form of film. And when I first saw Cinema Paradiso, I instantly fell in love with it. There are so many moments in this film that make me feel emotional, but aren't necessarily sad. There's just so much joy that's explored through this film that I can't help but but love and adore, especially Alfredo, the character who, in my opinion, is just one of the most kind-hearted and 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 heartwarming father figures I've seen in film history. And when you watch something like Cinema Paradiso, it just makes you feel happy to be alive. It makes you feel good to go to the theater. It makes you want to be like Toto and want to pursue something like this. I don't know. It's, it just really taps something in my soul 
that I think all of us here can understand with our love for filmmaking. And Cinema Paradiso is just that. It is about the love for movies. So, yeah, what what better number one for me than picking this one? Great pick, dude. Yeah, awesome like, pick. I, uh, one thing uh, I really loved about the film, too, is that it's one of the – I mean, I don't know if I've seen a film before this film do it, but it's a great demonstration of a human being kind of having to choose – um, like love for a woman or love for cinema. It's like a great divide in one's life to where choosing your love for filmmaking, especially at the time of his life, would make it to where he would have to kind of sacrifice the love that he had for somebody that was truly special to him and and, and a life with them in general. Um, and that's a that's a theme that I see like in more like modern type films now, um, especially with um, uh, Chazelle's films as well, like uh, La La Land is also another great example of that too, where you kind of have to choose one or the other. Could Kind of like you can't really have one without the other kind of thing, but yeah, yeah that's the thing I loved about it. I sadly haven't seen it since I was younger, but – Hearing you describe it and how kind of life affirming it is, and it sounds like it'll make me tear up. So I'll def- similar to Brazil, it's high on my list of priorities now. It's been a minute, but I yeah, remember it was I mean, beautiful film. It is, it is a film about, like Bill said, it's a, it's a film that's about the love for filmmaking. But in general, it is just a film about love. Period. Um. Yeah, it's 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 a really great film. I, th- I think it's a great pick, Bill. Yeah, a great look at compassion. You know, yeah. just feeling yeah. feeling like you can do something with your life. Yeah, and also looking back at like your regrets and yeah, it's a very uh, it's a very humanistic film, a really down to earth humanistic film about like you said, compassion and love that I really enjoyed. Wow. It's been quite a while since I've seen it. I, yeah, me too. Truth be told, I don't remember a whole hell of a lot about it. I do remember really enjoying it. Um, the The only thing that kept me from, like, really loving it was um, the length of the movie. But, uh, I mean, it was gratifying seeing the main characters, like, uh, kind of whole journey from being a kid. And if I'm not mistaken, he would, there was also, like, a teenager kind of uh part of the movie yeah that's the one part of the film that i wasn't huge on to be honest with you like the whole like teenager romance thing i mean i get why it's there especially like with what the film progresses into with the ending the finale but something about the teenage romance element just it, it didn't really resonate with me nearly as much as everything else did yeah but i did enjoy the adult parts a lot i my the scenes I remember most are like him revisiting um where the town where he grew up and like uh kind of seeing his well kind of seeing what became of like uh you know certain places that he loved as a as a child and kind of how he has this like sense of nostalgia going through him, yeah, that's a great scene, yep, totally. 
Um, uh, grade number one. It's a grade number one. And it, something as heartwarming and as beautiful as that uh, definitely deserves to be out on the list. By the way, if your film is number one on the your top five, I, sh- I should imagine it automatically makes the top ten of the 80s. So Paradiso oh. is, is on the list. Um, so I'm happy about that. Um, my number one um, is, if anyone knows me, I, just, I don't ever shut the fuck up about this film, but and I, I, I still won't. I always, <laughs> I always advocate for this movie. Um, it's my favorite film of all time, next to all that jazz and punch drunk love. It's, um, it's if you know me, you know, you know I love it. Uh, it's Tempopo by Yuzo oh. Itami. I also right, love but, it. It's um, great. I feel like, again, similar to Totoro and other, you know, movies we mentioned, like everyone I know that I've recommended this movie to or or, or have seen it, like you guys also adore this movie. And it kind of just hits all the – it's hard not to be very subjective about it because this movie just hits all the marks on why I love movies where – it kind of blends just so many different tones um, that that really speak to me personally. Where it's about um, it's an underdog story, which is something I'm a huge sucker for. Um, essentially, just about this ramen shop and this woman trying to better herself and her life um, through the art of food. Which uh, food is a huge. Uh, I never really talk about it on, th- on this podcast, but I, I've you know, I've food has been a huge part of like my interests in life and like exploring different cultures of food and stuff like that. Um, and I feel like Tampopo ex- part of the reason why I love that movie is cause like through those vignettes um, that are in between sort of the plot of the film, like people often compare it to like, you know, ske- sketches you'd see in SNL or something like that, you know, really quick vignettes um, all explored kind of like the pleasures of food and like our relationship with food. Um, and it's such a, hilarious manner um, and oftentimes like intimate and sexual. Um, like I, I always think of the spaghetti scene with all the businessmen and like that, that's so funny and clever. And like the sex scene, obviously with the, everyone remembers the oyster scene. It's so, <laughs> it's such a memorable shot. Um, and yeah, like, like Bill was saying with cinema Paradiso, like it's a movie that makes me kind of like, excited to live and 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 kind of gives me hope to move on in life because it's such a it's just an inspiring movie like tonally and like narratively like her this whole journey of these characters um and that's what i love about yuzo atami is that he's, he's his outlook on life has always been just so overwhelmingly positive in the face of like adversity like he's made a movie about a hotel dealing with gangsters and how to like stand up for yourself and a supermarket trying to compete with a, with a large corporation. Um, he just makes movies about the human experience and the everyday um, person, but in a kind of like a, in the lens of a very zany and heightened and almost cartoony reality, um, which I just, for me again, like it just speaks to all of the, re- all of my kind of love of, you know, different genres of, you know, comedy uh, Western action drama, like this movie, truly I think has everything. Um, and and I think uh, not only the best film of the '80s in my in my eyes, but and the personal Jake list in the top five. 
uh, for my favorite films of all time. So, yeah, got to cut myself off because I could talk. I've, I've talked about Tampopo a lot on this pod too, so I gotta, <laughs> I gotta stop. But all I gotta say is get some ramen and eat and watch this movie. I Fuck, can't think yes. of a better time. I'm getting hungry just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, so yeah, I also love that movie. It's great, dude. I have I haven't seen it in like I feel like almost three years now. But same same year. Yeah. I watch I watch it so often. I feel like I, <laughs> it's like one of those every three month <laughs> movies at this point. But um, yeah, yeah, I need to I need to I need to watch it again soon. I remember really really liking it a lot. Very wholesome and uh, um, rewarding movie. Yeah. Have you, have you guys seen anything else from the? Usually Tommy, the director. Uh, the funeral. Yeah, we talked about oh, the funeral. Oh yeah, yeah, the funeral. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good movie too. He's yeah, I really enjoyed that movie. Really underrated body of work. I know it's it's like really hard to find in a lot of his films. If you have a Criterion subscription, I think they're most for the most part are all on there. But um, I'm really hoping they do like a box set or something like to celebrate because I every film I've seen outside of this movie I've I've pretty much loved from him and I think he's such a treasure for, you know, Japanese filmmaking. So, yeah. Nice. That's that's the number one that is that is making the list, uh, which I'm very <laughs> happy about. Uh, yeah. Carlos, you want to do your number one now? Hell yeah. yeah. All right, we're going to move to something that's really wholesome and good vibes. It's something that is the exact opposite, and that is... Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Um, every, uh, I think every decade so far, I've chosen a Kubrick film as my number one. <laughs> I think so. Can't help it. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think the 90s is going to be different. We'll see. But, um, yeah. Um, the Shining is, to me, my favorite horror film of all time. It is, uh, it is, in terms of atmosphere and um, its psychological element, to me, it is. There's no better way you could have presented a movie um, to achieve these things. It is, from start to finish, such an absorbing and immersive and unsettling experience, uh, driven by one of the greatest horror performances we've ever had from Jack Nicholson and even Shelley Duvall. I think that she's, she's fantastic. She is mm-hmm. so good in this movie. Um, especially when it comes to the more like, like terror inducing moments. I mean, really, really incredible shit. Um, yeah. Uh, I just love the way, I just love the way that Kubrick presents this film. I um, mean, like to me, what really makes this film work so well is the direction of the camera, which I believe Stanley Kubrick had a huge part in. I don't think he was the cinematographer, but his eye for the camera in terms of the way he wants it to move and flow throughout the film, I think is um, it's a huge reason as to why this film works really, really well. This is very like like smooth, flowing, haunting element to the to the way the camera moves throughout this film. And one thing about this film that I feel like people don't talk about enough that is a gigantic element as to why it's so unsettling and immersive and to me timeless is the is the score. Um the score like I watched this in the theater and the score like you really get to understand 
why this film is so immersive when you watch it in a theater with giant speakers because um like there's not like a single moment in this film where you feel like you could rest and a lot of that is because of the score um it's very like experimental very like erratic uh very reliant on just noise <laughs> um and it's i don't know it's to me it's it's, it's one of my favorite horror scores ever um, and again, a huge reason as to why it is so unsettling and is so effective on an atmospheric level and even on a, on a psychological level. Um, and yeah, just this film, again, the presentation of this film is to me like the biggest reason why it works so well. Uh, there's so many sequences in this film that are so engaging and so haunting and so unsettling because of the way that Kubrick, uh, presents it. Um, like to me, the, the whole, uh, the, the old lady scene and the happens in the room, the way that's like edited together is like, I'm sorry, but to me that is like so fucking horrifying. Um, I can see like maybe some people's always oh, cheesy to me. No. And a lot of the reason why it works so well for me is because of the way that it's edited together and the way that's presented. Um, just the way, like how that scene flows with the audio, with the images is just, Super unsettling shit. I, I I love it to death. Um, but yeah. Um, again, this movie. I I really could talk about it like all fucking day. There's pretty much everything about this movie I absolutely love. Um, I mean, this and it's iconic as hell. Like the two little girls in the hallway. Um, the the fucking waterfall of blood coming down from the elevator. It's just. To me, this is just like a perfect example of iconic horror that just works on every single level. I hope to one day uh, in my future filmmaking career to make a horror film that even comes remotely close to um, to uh, representing elements as to why The Shining is so great, like on an atmospheric and a, and a psychological level. I hope to one day make a film that kind of encapsulates something like The Shining. Um, but yeah. That's, that's all I'll say about it. I Obviously, I, I love The Shining to death. Stanley Kubrick's my favorite filmmaker of all time. And, um, yeah, that's The Shining is a perfect example why. Yeah. I, I'll say, Carlos, seeing your, I've seen your horror stuff. I feel like you have pulled from The Shining, at least, like, tonally and, like, that dreadful kind of tonality in The Shining. I could tell you. I could tell you adore The Shining. It's pretty clear. So you're on your way for sure. Thank you, dude. Thank you so much. I got you. I feel like like The Shining might be the most influential horror film of all time if you really break it down. Like if every modern horror movie that we love or even even post The Shining like in the 90s or 2000s or whatever, I feel like everything's borrowing from just like what Stanley Kubrick captured with that movie. Not even just like the the claustrophobia of that location and the way he shoots and edits it together. Like it all works so harmoniously. Like I always describe the shining as like Kubrick literally played in like a sandbox of just like all, all of his quirks and like all of his, you know, inklings as a filmmaker and just do whatever the hell he wants. Cause he takes the adaptation of like a beloved book, but he kind of just like completely shifted to like a Kubrickian, you know, yep. uh complete, you know, exercise in filmmaking and acting and like to me it's like the film it's not my personal favorite Kubrick it has been at times but it's like him firing in all cylinders as like 
as a filmmaker and probably reaching, I feel like maybe his most popular film in terms like commercially and successfully. And the one that's reached the most audience members, I think is the shining um, maybe 2001 yep. though as well. Um, yeah. The thing is like with the shining, like even like your most casual of moviegoers knows the shining. Yeah. You know? And they've seen it and most, most like more than likely they, they like it. Um, 2001 is like something that casual moviegoers maybe have heard about, but they haven't seen, but most people True. have seen the shining. And some people watch 2001 and like check out of it really quick if they're yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. not to put any normies on blast out there, but yeah, it is what it is. I mean, you know, yeah, it's 2001. It's a, so. It demands patience from the viewer, you know, so. for sure. And Jack Nicholson, like one of my favorite actors of all time. Like I think undeniably that's my favorite performance he's ever, he ever gave. Like yep. there's something like next level about that performance. Like it feels like, no actor has ever replicated like what he did with that movie. Um, yeah, fucking crazy. Yeah, love it. Yeah, no, certified banger. <laughs> I don't have anything to add. Every every scene in The Shining is literally iconic. Even the fucking like opening uh, scene, like going up the fucking mountains to the Overlook Hotel. That scene is fucking great too. Wah, it's, wah, it's just the opening. <laughs> yeah, the opening is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Carlos, did you like Ready Player One when they recreate The Shining? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, don't, is that real, man? Don't tell me. Yeah, that. they, they, oh, play, like, they play like it? Mario Kart like in the fucking hotel or whatever. What? Yeah, dude. <laughs> dude, it's like it's like the death of. I'm sorry if anyone out there likes that movie, but that's like one of my least favorite films what the ever. Fuck? That sounds like fucking. That sounds like a nightmare. That sounds scarier than The Shining. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> Kubrick, Kubrick himself would strangle the shit out of Spielberg if he saw what he did to him. My God, he'd fucking turn in his grave, dude. Fuck that. <laughs> and the fact that Spielberg like finished his final film, too, yeah, is the funny. <laughs> and then just shat on his grave after that. It's like. Oh my god! <laughs> Play Mario Kart in the hotel. Yeah, the I, th- I I think they're having like a like a race. I don't know. How, they have whatever. a race and they go through. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly. What the fuck is going on? That is. I can <laughs> I can send you this scene after where it's like the worst thing I've ever seen. Great, I'm gonna have nightmares tonight. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, love that movie. Obviously. Oh, it's by a- the way, quick note. Uh. Doctor Sleep, I'm not a fan of. Just to that. No, fuck that movie. Don't I do not like. I I I, I tried. I really fucking tried. Um, that movie's fucking bad. I I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just bad. I don't even know. It's not it's not okay. It's not fine. It's just it's bad. Just bad movie. Like I, it's not even bad compared to The Shining. It's literally bad in its own merits. Yep. In my opinion. Yep. Okay. I, know, I know there's fans <laughs> out there of it. I mean, I'm a fan of it. Oh really? Oh, sorry, <laughs> but still, I'm all. I just I'm a big Stephen King fan. I like the book, and I think it's well adapted. I don't compare it directly oh, to okay. The Shining like other people do, because like that's a losing battle right there. But I can see. I, I know what you guys are saying. It's it's not the best adaptation out there, but I mean, but I guess like I can see from your perspective. Like if you're someone that read the book and you just like the way it was realized, then yeah, I can't really argue with that. Is, yeah. yeah, 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 but. If you grew up watching The Shining and you watched that movie, it's kind of like maybe Ready Player One made it better too. After seeing that shit, I'm like, oh. anything about an Overlook Hotel is better than that. So, yeah. Aside from that, Blair, what's your number one? 
So my number one is, like uh, everybody here, a movie that I am very, very passionate about and could I feel like I could talk about for a long time. And uh, when we thought about when we were doing the 80s list, like uh, when we uh, talked about doing the 80s list, this is the movie that was like, oh, yeah, this is easily my number one. That's uh, Koyani Skatsi. Oh, hell yeah. Um, well, Watching this movie for the first time, it it legitimately blew my fucking mind. And I feel like there's probably some people who just like rolls their eyes at this movie from the get go because it's it's technically a documentary but not really like it it really feels like very misleading to label this movie as a documentary because even though there's no characters there's no plot structure it's still one of the most cinematic movies uh to me um and like fucking philip glass's score is to be completely honest it might be my favorite movie score um full stop and um I, yeah obviously i love what the movie sets up like the movie is about uh kind of human humanity and their and the toll they've taken through our industrial kind of society and our technology kind of like taking a toll on earth and kind of the negative impacts that we've had and the movie kind of starts off with like um these beautiful mesmerizing um uh shots of nature and like it really lulls you into that kind of comfort with uh Philip Glass's amazing score and slowly and slowly we or not even slowly I should say like it, it just starts building one scene after another of like showing the fucking um uh monstrosity of fucking capitalism we've created in a way like this movie i don't know if anybody in the world relates to me but this movie made me feel so disgusted like genuinely really dis- disgusted at like my stomach and have this real sense of existential dread um yeah and uh there's the one scene that everybody knows about um fuck oh, the the grid scene i think that's yeah. easily one of my fucking favorite scenes of oh, any film yeah. ever that when that scene happened like i just it it goes on for so long and it's insane it's fucking mesmerizing it's yeah it could it conveys so much with no dialogue with, with nothing just observing it with almost like a I don't even know. You're just viewing it from like such a detached way. And it's, yeah, I, I don't even, I can't even sell it. Like, you just have to watch it for yourself. It's, it's insane. Um, But yeah, I, I'm very curious to hear how, how you guys feel about it. Cause I, this is like in my top 10 favorite movies of all time. I think it's fucking brilliant on every level. Yeah. I like about it, dude. I'll look at that. Oh, yeah, the nice. DVD. <laughs> shitty ass. I, I want to buy the box set, um, but I've heard really bad things about the sequels. But I still want to do it for just for Koyani Scotsy alone. I, I totally agree. This is a work of genius. Um, I feel like really pushes the boundaries of what you're about, like what cinema could offer, like in general, and like t- tell a complete, like you know, quote unquote story, um, and 
you know, say something so profound without any characters, dialogue, just all through footage and music. Um, it's just stunning. I agree. Yeah. To me, it really is a, like a cinematic achievement. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm missing another movie, but it also has like th- that the grid uh, section is like one of the best time lapses of anything I've ever seen in my life. It's incredible. Yeah. It's used to such great effect. It's so purposeful. And just like, God, even that shot of like um, uh, that casino shot with the, you know, Vegas workers like staring into the camera. Like it's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't, yeah, it's just like so mm-hmm. ironic and like so detached. I, I love it mm-hmm. so much. Totally. I yeah. agree with you too. It makes me sick watching it in a way. Um just like how thought provoking it is, but reflecting on over what it's saying, you know? Yeah. A lot of it's told because of the fucking film editing, dude. Like there's parts, like there's so many elements of the film that have a great sense of like graphic match where like, I forgot exactly what it is, but I think it was something like you see like human beings being like packed into an escalator and then, like, mm-hmm. the next scene after that is, like, you see, like, hot dogs being packed into, like, a assembly line. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like, we get, like, <laughs> scenes like that where things are just, like, matched together through the editing that it's just, to me, it's just so compelling and profound to see things being sequenced in the way that it is. And that's the reason why the movie mm-hmm. is a must-see masterpiece. <laughs> must-see masterpiece. <laughs> well, that gave me chills. <laughs> To me, the even craziest part about it is, is this movie was made in the early '80s. Like, it, and you, like the the moments we saw, like in New York City specifically, um, with those time lapses, that was just like what, like one single afternoon, and you see all that fucking chaotic shit. Like, imagine how much time has fucking passed since then, and like how much bigger the population has increased. Like that, that fact alone is like really scary, and uh, uh, I don't know, super existential shit. It's yeah, absolutely. It's very thought provoking movie to me. I like I said, I know some people will be like, "Oh, what is this shit? It's just a movie about shots of." People walking in nature, whatever. But no, well, it's... those normies probably like Doctor Sleep, right? <laughs> Fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, have you? Do you get? Do you guys have you seen the sequels to? Are they even sequels directly? I know it's the same director. In in the in the they're like a them, thematic sequels in a sense, but yeah, I'm not. They I heard they're like really cheesy and bad. The third one, I, like, read the reviews, and people were, like, completely shitting on it so hard. I was like, wow. Like, based off Corey Andy Scotsy, I felt like I can't imagine it not being great, but I guess it's pretty bad. Yeah, I wonder why Criteria decided to put a box set for them. I guess, like, the only thing I can think of is, like, the director was, like, basically, like, <laughs> well, if you want if you want my movie, you got to sell my other two movies. That's what I was thinking. That's what <laughs> no, totally, yeah. He's, like, forcing people to fucking eat it. <laughs> and they're <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah, I know nobody likes it, but I work too hard in these movies to just not sell. So I'm gonna put it <laughs> probably. <in my> <laughs> yeah, I guess Francis Ford Coppola had something to do with this, huh? Because like on my DVD it says Francis Ford Coppola presents. Oh really? So, well, he does produced he play, it, maybe. Does he play Koyani Scotsy? <laughs> <laughs> he plays Kotsi. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't seen any of the sequels, but I have seen 
Baraka, which is directed Ooh. by the cinematographer of Kionisgatsi, I think. Oh, yeah. Baraka is great. Yeah. Baraka is awesome. Yeah. That's what I'd recommend that's not any of the sequels to Kionisgatsi. <laughs> Yeah, it was produced by Coppola. King, what a fucking king! What yeah. a Chad, Chad. I'll just throw on that fucking Philip Glass score. I Philip Glass is one of my favorite uh, movie uh, composers. He's great. I love oh, his scores. One of the best. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. His, his score for the Thin Blue Line is really great too. I didn't know he scored uh, Mishima. That's pretty cool. He did Mishima? Oh, oh wow. That's yeah, a great score. score. Yeah. The score for that movie is fucking great. And that movie is, is really great. That, that's my favorite Paul Schrader, like, movie, in my opinion. Like, in terms of directing, it's my favorite. Totally. Damn, that might have to be a honorable mention on her list. I didn't, no one brought that up for 80s. Yeah. It's a great movie. Oh, yeah. It is I, from the 80s. I really wanted to put it on my list, but I couldn't. But it's that, my, so fucking good. That one in Ran. From Kurosawa. Kurosawa's um, Rana, yeah. That was that's on my honorable mention list too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a sec. Well that's that's our top twenty right there, folks. Um we're gonna take a quick break because I have to pee really badly and then we're gonna come <laughs> back and do our top ten. We're gonna do the good old debating um to see what makes our top ten. So we'll be back. I'll be back in a sec. Welcome back, Conhead, to the Cinnabums <laughs> and Misfit Pond. Uh, I hope you're caught up with Succession, otherwise you will not understand that one. <laughs> um, I am indeed not caught up with Succession. Sorry, sorry. We were, we were interested in films from a very young age. <laughs> I I started watching Succession today, and I was like, oh, fuck, my power went out. So then I tried Aww. Blade Runner, and I'm like, my fucking power went out, and I gave up after that. <laughs> Not watching anything today. <laughs> That's sad. Your your I guess your your power hates uh really existential shit. Hates Kino. <laughs> hates Kino, yeah. Yeah. No more movies. Alright, so let's let's do the thing. Oh, sorry. Pro- Stop. No no, no you're good. Um so we're gonna make the top ten. We're gonna go through each movie again and how about we just like we'll go through each person's list again. I'll, I'll name them off, and if anyone wants to, if just say yes or no. You know, everyone says yes or no. I feel like that's we'll get a good democratic, vo- you know, sort of um, deliberation on everything, and then after that we can do the uh, if anyone has honorable mentions. If we're like running out of movies, mm-hmm. um, we already met. What did we mention before? Uh, Mishima. Uh, Mish- Mishima, yeah, yeah. Um. It was could definitely show up somewhere, and then we'll rank them. We'll rank them when we we're, our brains are truly rotted out of our skulls. We'll we'll rank these movies. Yeah, just so uh, everybody knows for clarity, right now where Blair and I live, it's four twenty four a.m. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So let's extend this out as long as possible. <laughs> let's take our time and make this the best list we've ever done. Um. All right, Bill Griff's list. Welcome to WatchMojo.com. <laughs> um, uh, possession. Yay or nay? No. Yay. 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 
I lose. <laughs> well, that's uh, that doesn't for sure make the list, but it's it's it gets a little a it little gets a star. Gets a yeah. literally, yeah, a golden star. It's it a little star. St- but we need we need ten stars. <laughs> Is it, Isabella Johnny gets to see God. More around. Uh, do the right thing. I mean, yes. I feel yeah. like that should just be added to the top ten. Honestly. Slow your roll, brother. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. No, nobody gets an automatic one unless it's not. I don't. One. I feel like we got to go by each movie though, because then we're gonna get like yeah, if we put so too many thinking. on. You know, I'm gonna start it because I think it's gonna make it. But Grave of the Fireflies. Ooh. Nay. I would uh, say no because I'm gonna say a nay. On your own list, huh? Yeah. Well, well I'll say yay to give it some love. All right. <laughs> Okay. All it right. Fantastic. Here, here comes the here comes the big boy. Oh no, Red Velvet, huh? Red Velvet, uh, nothing but cakes. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll say Perf- nay. Yay! Absolutely yay! Yay! yay. Nay. That was Definitely my original nay. top two. Like, Blair. yeah, I was gonna say I thought Blair, you were gonna bring it up. Um, so I if you had it, would for sure make the list. But yeah. okay, it might. It might. Uh, Carlos, uh, your top five. Shining's okay. for sure gonna make the list. Oh, I should okay. say, Bill Cinema Parodies still makes the list automatically. Uh, Santa Sangre. I haven't seen it, so yeah, it's just like I love um, it, but nah, it's not gonna make. Yeah, it. I'm sorry, Carlos. I'm I'm gonna have to say nay. Everybody's against me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. More like the misfit poop. Um. <laughs> Got him. Got him. Uh, Paging Bull. Yes, come yes. on. Yay, big, yeah, yeah. Big yes. yay. Yay. Thank yes. God. <laughs> Imagine we're like, actually, everything we said before was a farce. Man, fuck <laughs> Raging fuck. Bull. <laughs> I don't like sports. Stupid. Hey, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> sports. Why the fuck they make it black and white? It's 80s movie, come on. Yeah. <laughs> pretentious on. assholes. Lazy yeah. Scorsese. That's Lazy. what I like to say. <laughs> Of course, says he like this blood looked green as hell. We're making the film black and white. What if the blood that like you know when the blood like splatters on the crowd? What if he just colored it like pink or something? Yeah, it was just just black. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Yes, I haven't seen it. Um, I want to say nay. I'm gonna say nay as much as I want to, Carlos. Like. uh, uh, Y'all did Eraserhead wrong, and now y'all do Intensua wrong. <laughs> I Eraserhead. I said it. I like. I don't know. Well, no, no. I know you like it, but it didn't make the fucking top ten. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brazil, I haven't seen so. Brazil needs to be on there. I I like. I like. <laughs> I like Brazil, but. Gosh, compared to like everything else in everyone else's list. Compared like, to my that's kind of how I feel too. Brazil deserves to be on there more than Blue Velvet. It's an honorable mention. Ooh, well, we're we're getting a little. Fire. I don't agree. Oh <laughs> my little, god, Brazil political here. Brazil takes so much more craftsmanship than fucking Blue Velvet. I'm sorry. Well, out of their filmographies, like is Brazil the magnum opus of Terry Gilliam? No. Yeah, no. probably. Yeah. What else is the magnum opus of Terry Gilliam, Bill? 
Doc because, because he made Doc Monty Yoda. Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> and he made the Fisher King. No, he, did, he didn't direct uh, Holy Grail. He did, yeah. Yeah, he, he did. did. He co-directed it. Yeah. I thought that was. Oh, okay, yeah, it's co-directed. I love. Um, I, I think he, um, he actually co-directed with Koyani Scotsy. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that's like the name of somebody. Yeah. I don't know. Can you put? It, can you at least put an asterisk? I'm putting. Yeah. No. I. I, okay. I have no dog in this fight. I haven't seen it. So, but I was gonna say like Blue Velvet. People consider that like Lynch's magnum opus. Some people do. So. Well, well I remember in the Discord, it was a top two films of the eight. Like literally, Brazil won every single bracket all the way up to the finale. It was Brazil against Come and See. So I feel like. Oh yeah. Know. Me and Carlos ha- had a fucking debate on that and on VC uh, in yeah. 2021. I very distinctly remember that. Yeah, it was it was a good one. It was a good that was a, debate. that was a good one. Yeah, I'm gonna give it an, a little gold star, of course. I mean, yes. I yes. feel like we fu- we fucked with your little uh, your other uh, avant garde movies a little bit. So <laughs> remember the bracket match, Blue Velvet versus the Celebration. That was another crazy one. That's oh, heated. Wow, that, that pissed me off. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, we'll go to my list now. Uh, Paris, Texas. Yes. Yeah. Bill. He's like, no. Fuck no. that movie, dude. <laughs> Fuck that piece of dog shit. Boring as hell. Abuser <laughs> core movie. Oh my god. <laughs> yo, like in the end, in that phone uh, call scene, I was like, what a whiny. Yo, bitch. yo, why, why the fuck is a Breakfast Club in this list, guys? What the fuck? I had, uh, Dude, we're, I gonna, almost, we're gonna get to honorable mentions. I almost did oh, yeah. Breakfast Club in my top five. Yeah, there's like a million movies we didn't say. Uh, man, man, where's Howard the Duck? Where the? <laughs> did they actually have? Did they actually have a uh, breakfast in the movie, or is? Uh, no. Wow, scam. Piece, piece of shit. Fucking John fake Hughes, ass movie. Fucking fake ass director John Hughes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Paris, Texas. Gets a star. Uh, the thing, Jake yes. Carp. Yeah, I think I think we need to have that. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Come and see. Oh, show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't drunk enough, I guess, when you saw it, Bill. Um, there wasn't enough enough seeing, you know, that happened. Like, <laughs> but there was a lot of coming. A lot of coming. But not- <laughs> Plenty of that. Remember the quote in Superbad? He's like, it's not the go-in with the ladies I care about. It's the come-in. It's the come-in. <laughs> that should have been in the, the trailer for Come and See. The, the oh, criteria. I get it. <laughs> uh, Totoro? Nah. I haven't seen it. Uh, because if we're not going to put Grave of the Fireflies, we yeah. Totoro. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to do Nay on Totoro. And, and if and if there is a if there is a Ghibli film, it should be it should be Grave of the Fireflies, not Totoro, in my in my opinion. I take issue with that, but that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all right. That was a very personal pick, anyway. Uh, okay, Corey, and then Tempo makes it automatically. We're gonna have to cut some shit out because we're definitely getting ten really easily here. Uh, King of Comedy for Blair. Nay. I would say nay. Personally, I would say yay, but if we already have Raging Bull up there, it's like I can't. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, one more, one Marvel man per list. 
Like a vagabond. Ooh, I'll say yay, but I don't expect that to get in. <laughs> I'm gonna I say, say yay. I'm gonna say yay. Base. Uh, I'll say yay too. Damn. More than Brazil. What the fuck's going on? Here? I yeah. see Brazil. <laughs> I, I, yo, I, yo, Varda beats Brazil, dude. dude. I, I'm sorry. Your Varda takes a steaming shit. On Girl, girls drool and boys drool. That's what I gotta Ter- say. Terry Gilliam could not direct Vagabond, <laughs> but Varda could direct the shit out of Brazil. Oh my god, fuck you. Dude, Greta Gerwig could direct me. 12 Monkeys better than that shit. Oh <laughs> shit. I'm Greta Gerwig, Brazil, when? <laughs> oh god. Uh, blowout, uh, big yay for me. I'll say yay, yeah. I'm going to say nay. Damn. Democracy loses again. What about Scarface? No, I still start. We said we all said three. We all said yay. Which one? You said for Blowout, right, Carlos? You said yay? I, no, I said nay. Oh, shit. Okay, never mind. Um, but that got as many votes as Brazil, so I'm still going to give it a star. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I, I got you, Blair. Amadeus... I haven't seen it in so long. It's hard. I know it's a masterpiece, though. Like, I say so yay. Obviously, I say yay. I know. I just, we, we're starring like every movie besides. <laughs> I, I can't list. say anything. I haven't seen it, so I'm out of this fight. All right. Well, if we star on a day, it's how many films we got starred right now? Let me count a lot. <laughs> Four, five, six, seven, fifteen. Yeah, Holy shit! Okay, day. Amadeus, get the fuck out of here, dude. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, dude. We got to cut Brazil and Amadeus because we always... Or Blowout, oh, sorry. Blowout and Brazil. Cut Blowout Brazil. Wait, what? Don't cut out Brazil yet. They only got the... two votes, though. No, get well, rid... I said... I you said, know what? You man. know what? Cut out, cut out Blue Velvet. Get rid of the bees. Uh, what are you, what are you <laughs> talking about? Get rid of the about? bees. Let's go... God damn it. I know, I know other ones has has more votes, but let's... Let's let's discuss this. Let's see if I can sway people another way. Who said yay for Brazil, Carlos? And who I haven't was? seen it, so it's only two yays, right? I, I didn't say yay, so I didn't who said But yay? why not though? Like what's Because what's we you? said nay. Well it, it's not it's not anything to do with Brazil, it's just that there's movies I prefer. Okay, that seems okay, like what's happening. Yeah, that's because Anya Carlos. It's because Anya's Varda didn't direct Brazil. Okay, <laughs> no, Carlos. If you want to make a case for it, go ahead. Like I, no, I'm just, I'm just saying. Let's. What are the other films that have two stars? Uh, what was Possession? Um, okay, that's not going anywhere. I know that. No, no, no. I, you said nay to that, right? Yeah. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I don't waste remember time all to... the. I don't remember all the votes in my head right now. But oh, okay, well, let's just name up all the films real quick. What 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 all has a star? Uh, parody. So for, I won't name the number ones. There, Blue Velvet. Okay. okay. Which which you kind of fell on your sword. Yeah. And said no, but I. I, I kind of wanted it to be on the list, but if you want to cut it out, then let's cut it out. I was just pranking Carlos. Oh. We should have it on the list. Good yeah. I'm not. I'm not, not going to bother with the blue velvet. <laughs> no, guns. you should. I feel like it. <laughs> blue velvet versus Brazil is a great argument, but I mean, I just think Brazil is a fuck ton better. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like, I, I mean, and both, like, both personally and objectively, I think it's oh, it's a lot. Shit. It's a lot better. I mean, mm. uh, Brazil. 
objectively speaking, took a lot more vision, a lot more craftsmanship. Um, there's every single fucking scene in Brazil, as I mentioned, is like layered with social commentary and it's hilarious. Um, I just think the vision for that film is just like otherworldly and in comparison to Blue Velvet, again, it comes to that, like, when it comes to personal, I get that y'all don't have, y'all don't have to like Brazil better than Blue Velvet, but like, on a objective, like technical standpoint and what it took to make a film like Brazil, um, I just think, I don't know, I just admire that so much. I think that Amadeus took like, if not if not more, like just as much craftsmanship than as Brazil's. So yeah, but I I, 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 I I do agree with you on Amadeus though. I say yay to that. I say uh-huh. I say I, I say yay know. to Amadeus and yay to Brazil, but not Blue Velvet. Okay, I, I can respect that. Well, Bill, Bill, do you want to sacrifice your Velvet now? Is that was that convincing? You know, I do, I do not want. To I will Velvet, only so. sacrifice Blue Velvet if Carlos sacrifices Brazil. Oh shit. Okay. Let's come back to that. That's a very that's a very loaded. I Carlos, might do that. <laughs> Carlos, <laughs> take an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. You willing to be a blind man with me? Yeah, I might actually. You guys okay. want to cut the you guys want to cut those out? Yep. For now, I will for now cut them out. For now, cut them right. out. Let's, let's see what we got. Yeah. Uh, do the right thing. I think that should just make it right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I would put that. Yes. Uh, possession. I say no, but big yes for me. I say the, yes. I say I'm, yes. I'm in the middle. Fuck. I say if, no because I think there's other films that are more deserving. If but. left to my own devices, it would be like my number three. Yeah, it might be my top five, ten as well. But I knew Bill was gonna take it, so I was like, I'll let Bill have this one. Thanks, we'll, Blair. I'll come back to it. Uh, Raging Bull. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least I got I got that one. <laughs> it's the only uh, one. <laughs> come and pee. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We have to have that one. Yeah. Thank you. Can we just put it on the top ten already? It is. Yeah. That's what, I'm, okay. that's what I'm saying. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Two, three, four, five, six. Uh, the other ones we said the thing by John Carps. And if if you guys if you want to say no, you can change it. Oh man. I no, think we have to have the thing. Yeah, yeah it's, a big it's just so it's so fucking iconic. It's got to be on there. Okay. I think to have both The Shining and The Thing in the top ten of the '80s is base because to me those are the two best horror films like in the '80s. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would I would agree. And Paris, Texas. I feel bad because then like four out of the five of mine are gonna make the list. But well, when we cut you did, Paris, you did Texas. bring your list first out of everyone. So what what in the group chat? So I I'll. I will say yes to Paris, Texas, always. Okay. You mean like I stole everyone's thunder? <laughs> uh, Paris, Texas was in my like uh, list, but then I changed the last second and then put Amadeus. Oh fuck! I didn't. It's okay. Don't worry. It worked out. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's a great list nonetheless. Uh, fuck, we only have one spot left right now. After Koyani Scotsy obviously makes the list. Um, so, so what is who's, who's Amadeus, Blowout, yeah. and Vagabond? Oh, from Blair's list. But we're cutting out Blue Velvet in Brazil, right? Hypothetically, yeah. yes, we are right now. Yeah, and let's then, get rid of them. If that's the case, then Blair's list is done. Or yeah. if we don't cut but, them out, I meant. But but if we put Amadeus, then those the are done. One, yeah. 
then those are gone. To uh, me, out of, out, of, Brazil. out of those three you said at the end, I would I would choose Amadeus, but I know Bill hasn't seen it, so. I would choose Blowout personally, but. Out of those three, I, I would choose Amadeus. Yeah. Well, Bill, you've seen Blowout, yeah? Yeah. Eh. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, who voted for it before? It was just Beautiful me. response. Yeah. Eh. All right. All right, fuck it, then, Amadeus. Let me read them out, then, real quick. Uh, the, the count them out. Uh, Cinema Paradiso is one. Do the Right Thing. The Shining. Raging Bull. Tampopo. Come and see The Thing. Paris, Texas. Quanny, Scotsy, Amadeus. Yeah, that's ten. <laughs> Come and see The Thing. Well, Come and see The Thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, did anyone have honorable mentions to throw out if you were to kick one off of here? Uh, I know, Bill, you said you had. I I had uh, Kurosawa's Ron, but I don't really... I don't know. Nothing that's like I want to fight for right now. Yeah, me neither. That I want to fight for in the list? Nah. Yeah, like... No, the list is pretty solid. Okay. So yeah. we, we I mean, it's a, it sucks to have not have Brazil, but I know it sucks for you. I'm, I'm sorry. Have it, so. I'm sorry. If I if maybe I should have watched it before this podcast, I could have saved it. But I mean, as long as I get to drag y'all down with me, I'm I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's gonna be upset. We didn't mention Blade Runner like at all, and I like yeah, I tried watching it, couldn't finish. Not because the movie's bad. Just <laughs> Because of the rain. Because <laughs> of the rain. I also think it sucks. <laughs> Blade Runner who? What? <laughs> There's a lot of people love Blade Runner. I, I love it. Blade Runner, too. Uh, like, it's a great decade. I, I I feel like if I go back and, like, look at more of those other ones, but, like, I just I just dwindled it down to five, you know? Yeah, I of def- course. I definitely dig Blade Runner, but I do prefer Blade Runner 2049 a little bit more. Is that blasphemy? Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't care. I don't know. I don't really... Oh. I don't, I, what? An American Werewolf in London. It's a pre-based film we should have mentioned. Well, I was going to say, I was gonna say Evil Dead 2 as well, but mm. that's a very personal, like, Jake movie, so... I almost put Nostalgia by Tarkovsky on my list. Whoa. It was very close. Ooh. I had Solaris in my honorable mentions, too. No Tarkovsky. Also, also, Once Upon a Time in America, if anyone yeah, has seen that. That's a great film. That's a great movie. Oh, yeah, that was that was definitely one of my mentions. I didn't bring it up, though, because I know it wouldn't make it. <laughs> so, and but. and also The Elephant Man, shout out Rigby. Yep. I love The Elephant Man. That was yeah. close, close I'd, to my top. I would put that in the list it's, but instead of Blue Velvet. I like Elephant Man more. Lunacy. Well, you like anything <laughs> Lunacy. more than Blue Velvet. Not sure. So I'm surprised you didn't talk about Indiana Jones, Raiders of the uh, Lost Ark, maybe? Uh, you uh, know, it's all right. It's, uh, it's got some fighting in there, right? It's got some good action, but uh, it's yeah. not top ten material. Fair, yeah. All these other yeah. films. Ooh, was, the Vanishing was... it needs to be mentioned, too. Ooh. Love that movie. It's a great fucking movie. Damn, dude. I, I, I would put The Vanishing probably over a handful of the movies in our list. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a huge fan of that movie. But, oh, damn. Um, the Vanishing is fucking 
to me is so good. Stanley yeah, Kubrick called fucking great. Stanley Kubrick called it the uh, the scariest film he's ever seen. It was it was it is terrifying for sure. I'll give it that. Um, yeah, I don't really have any others. Uh, I love Videodrome. I know Cronenberg's a very uh, it's a tough topic for sure. I actually love a lot The Fly. Of, I love The Fly too. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite Cronenbergs. It's so fucking great. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a good amount. But, but, we have to rank our top ten now. Okay. Which is, um, how the hell do we do this? Um, yeah, I don't know where to start with this. I mean. To start, to start naming them. Okay. <laughs> Raging Bull. That's got to be at least top five. Eight. Yeah, I was say more like I was honestly between seven and like nine. I would say number five, probably. Uh, I, I'll do seven. Seven's okay, the okay. highest I'll go. Okay, let's go seven. <laughs> it was like gambling <laughs> shit. Uh, seven's the best I could do. That's Bridget. that's the best my brain rot head can do right now at this hour. I'll give you six. I'll give you six if you give me. Um, Brazil's out, so sorry, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Just to reiterate, re- 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 we don't. We're not relish Brazil. in that reminder. No. Well, blue, well, blue, blue velvet out too. Yeah, blue velvet hurts. Well, it's true. Yeah, yeah that, that hurt me too. I didn't. I didn't expect you to sacrifice it like that. I just. I uh, needed Brazil gone, and I knew what I needed to do. <laughs> I needed blue velvet gone too. So like, fuck it. I'll, I'll take that deal. You guys just fell on the sword like you that. You guys just it's fucked good. yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, what about come and pee? Oh, one. Oh, yeah. I, it would be number one for me. Yeah. Three. I would okay. say one or no, two. No, I would say top five, actually. Two. We'll do two. Two. We'll come back to that. Three. <laughs> we'll do the lower <laughs> ones first. We'll do the lower ones first there. It's so funny. I don't know why. Two, one, three. Four. Uh, the thing is probably lower down. Where should the thing go? Like nine, number nine. 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 Sure. Piece of shit. Movie. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty boring. Uh, um, another one that might be low. Uh, Tampopo. Uh, I fucking love Tampopo, but I, I would put 10. it over Raging yeah. Bull personally. But no, you, you just say ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I would love 10. it, but ten. Yeah. Ten, yeah. Well, you know what? Score. What do we? What? We don't have an eight yet. Yeah, what about eight? At least it would give me eight. That was my number one movie. I'll go eight. Yeah, I get. I mean, to me personally, Tam Poo Poo is ten, but we'll do it. We'll do eight. Well, old, okay. Brazil Poo. <laughs> Good one, owned. Oh, oh and totally fuck. Fucking got lig- ligma. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Cinema Paradiso. I it's hard for me to rank because I haven't seen it in, like a decade, but that see that that to me is like okay that. That's an eight. That's like yeah. That, I mean, that, I mean, that's. I mean, like, should be number eight on the list, not like an eight out of ten. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know what you meant. Oh, okay. Fine. You know what? We'll do that eight if Tampopo will be a six. Ooh, why? Why, why, why oh, are you? I like that one. Why are you doing this, Bill? If you fuel the fire, <laughs> this is one above Raging Bull. Like I already have. Uh, yeah. Let come on. Let's just. That make makes no sense. sense. 
Why make it six? <laughs> make no fucking sense. <laughs> just make it make it happen. We're just, we're just fucking around now. I love you. <laughs> What's fucking brain rotted right now? It, we're so on. brain rotted. Holy fuck. What well, Amadeus is like number ten, right? Yeah. Oh, that I should be that should be higher. That should be like it uh, should be higher, but it's like the top ten of of the decade. Like there's, there's no bad spots. So just just put it in ten. ten. No, dude. What? No. It, we, I'm sorry, but it's better than Tampopo. Yeah. We're, we're ten in it up. Oh, it's Amadeus doesn't have no. fucking ramen in it, so. Damn. You don't know Not that. a single. There wasn't a single. Not a egg. single. They didn't. You know, if fucking Mozart and the the crazy guy you guys keep talking about, if if they passed an crazy egg guy. yolk, that would that would make it top five. <laughs> no, there's somebody. Okay. It's, there's somebody certified. Eating. There's somebody eating ramen in the background of that movie. Yeah, exactly. No, there. there. I, I saw it. Yeah, it's there. There's no yeah. Japanese culture in, in that movie. Dude. They're probably racist. Look. Somebody <laughs> ate a bowl of rice. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> clip, clip that out. What the fuck? That's so good. Okay, look. Amadeus, in my opinion, should be like eight or six. Tim Poopoo should be number ten. No, well, I know that's your opinion. But Blair, do you agree? That's not a uh, low key. I do agree. I'm sorry. See? Well, me and Bill are fighting for Tampupu. But but, Bill, but Bill's just doing it to get to. to no, get to I think it. no. He knows it's. I'm doing it to get to the to the to the truth of life here. You know. You think you think Tampupu is better than you would dig down? Yeah. And say you'd rather watch oh, yeah. Deus over Tampupu. Let's yeah. six. Tampupu six. Amadeus is ten. This I is, love Tim Popo, but number six seems a bit that, high. That's a, that's much. That's oh, how about this? How about this? Why is how about that this? high? Think about this, then, Who, guys. Have you ever met anyone that disliked Tim Popo? What do What do we have right now? What's the ranking? I only what have do we two have? Down. I have Ragey Bull at seven and a thing at nine. And Ragey okay, Bull is better put, than Tim Popo. Put Amadeus at eight, and we'll put Tim Popo. Oh, well, then that's no. just good. why would we put Tim Popo at eight? Five. At eight. Okay, fine. Put put, put Tampopo and eight. Yeah, that's and just, then that put Amadeus and six. Okay. Okay. As long I mean, as what's our last spot here? What's number? We 10? haven't talked about Cody Scotty. Right. Put, it, put that. I know it's gonna be really high, so I'm trying to get put, to like the the worst ones. Put oh. that in ten. No. Oh my god. <laughs> You're trying to break my heart. <laughs> Amadeus is is definitely ten. <laughs> well, just just put Amadeus ten for right now. Yes, I don't think yes. I don't I don't think it deserves to be there at all. You guys did that to me with something last with number ten. It was like Woman Under the Influence. So I'm doing. Well, that. I was on, I was on your side. No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is like ten out of thousands of movies, by the way. So it's pretty high still. Like it's in the it's in the list. So I don't think it's bad. Yeah. Um, Number six to me would be uh, Paradiso, right? I guess. Sure. That's too high. Sure. How, why too, is high. Too, too high. Raging Bull, Raging Bull should be above Cinema Paradiso. Y- yeah. Then switch them. Switch them. I'll the... switch them. I don't care. Yeah. I don't give a fuck. I need to sleep. Me too. <laughs> Y'all need to stop complaining. It is 5 a.m. where I'm at right now. Yeah. I was a complainer. I was a complainer. I'm, no, I'm not, not, not talking about you. I'm, I'm talking about the Bill Griff. The Bill Griff. The, uh, you're, Bill you're Griff. the one making this harder. <laughs> uh, okay, we're in the top five now. Thank God. Okay. Um, 
Uh, we have come and see left. We have Paris, Texas. Um, do the right thing. The Ooh. Shining. And Corey Andy Scott's you. That's what we got okay. left. Okay, this is my ranking right now. Okay. Five, Koyani Scotsy. Four, do the right thing. Three, Paris, Texas. Two, The Shining. One, come and see. I like that. I'm actually not opposed to that. The, I'm only, fine. Thing, the only thing I would say is put Koyani Scotsy a little bit, like maybe one step higher. But I'm exactly with number, Carlos. Number five is uh, Paris, Texas, or do the right thing. Do the right thing, number five. I will, I will okay. put. Okay, that's fine. I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, let me let me break this all out here. Number four was um, fuck. I'm I'm losing my mind. <laughs> uh, four is Paris, Texas. Is that what we said? Koyani, Koyani, and then Paris, Texas, right? Yeah. You just really want Paris, Texas. <laughs> Just as far back. Me? No, I'm just kidding. It's on my list. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, I'm just You're fucking like losing your mind like Harry Dean over there <laughs> in the movie. Um, Paris, Texas, and then The Shining, and then... And then Come and Pee. Come, come and see number one. Okay, okay. Yep. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I'm actually really happy that The Shining is up so high. I thought I was going to have to settle with that being very low. Actually, yeah. I think The Shining is number 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything yeah. moves up and then Tampa I think moves. We're going to need to put Blue Velvet in number two and then take out. <laughs> um, <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. I Well, yeah. When I make the list on Premiere, I'm just going to cross out The Shining last second and then... Blue Velvet comes up slowly. Just put just put Blue Velvet for every single place. <laughs> just yeah. dub over just dub over Carlos Be like, my name is Carlos Diaz. I love Blue Velvet. And I actually think my number Can we two. get an AI bot to replicate Carlos, yeah. you think? <laughs> Alright, I'll read let's read the top ten of the nineteen eighties. Um number ten, Amadeus. Number nine, the thing. Number eight, Tampopo. Number seven, Cinema Paradiso. Number six, Raging Bull. Number five, Do the Right Thing. Number four, Koyani Skotsky. Uh, three is Paris, Texas. Two is The Shining. One is Come and Pee, baby. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, a, good, that's a pretty good list. That's a good list, yeah. Yeah. The only, I mean, literally the only thing that I semi-regret is that Blue Velvet didn't make yeah, it. Yeah, Blue but, Velvet, that's it. But you want to sacrifice Amadeus, Blair? I mean, Carlos is not going to want Blue Velvet on the list. 3v2. I mean, y'all can do whatever the fuck y'all want. But nah, it's fine. Uh, let's just, wanna let's go just to leave sleep. it. Well, yeah, let's just leave it. I know. I just wanted to stir up a literally, little bit. Literally nobody would be upset with that except for me, because even the audience would be like, sure, fuck on my day. Let's put fucking Blue Velvet. <laughs> <laughs> I think, That's I think why people, it's a chaotic move. People gen- generally like Amadeus more than Blue Velvet, I think. But, dude, that fucking Blue Velvet love is insane, dude. That Blue Velvet love is, like, it's it's mind-boggling. Yeah, people still call you out, even though you're like, I like the movie, I just want to buy it right away. And people are like, oh, he doesn't like Blue Velvet for years. Yeah, man. That's, like, what you're known for now at the Criterion Hall. Blue Velvet, I think that won the 80s bracket. No, I almost won the 80s bracket. I think Come and See won, but... 
it was Blue Velvet fucking got really far. Again, it beat like the celebration too, which I was like, what the fuck? Damn. That that was one of the craziest bracket matches, the celebration versus Blue Velvet. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like maybe now it wouldn't win, but I don't know anymore. <laughs> that needs People, to ha- yeah, it needs to happen again. Yeah, we need an eighties re re rematch bracket. Redux. Redux. Was, was come and see always gonna win? Like, what if I, yeah. I, I, if no one brought it up, would it won, would it, would it have won anyway? Yeah. 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 That's pretty nuts. What a fucking tank Cummins yep. see is. I like the list a lot. Yeah. I'm, I have no objections. Com- compared to the seventies bullshit, I'm very happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The seventies was fun too. It wasn't as lugubrious. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if Perry had been here, I, I feel like maybe Brazil. Well, the what ifs of Brazil, you know? I feel like Brazil could have. Brazil could have made it. it. Yeah. But maybe not. I think he also likes Blue Velvet more than Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's like your that's your kryptonite now is that fucking movie. Anyway, yeah. well, let's wrap this up because we're all going to. Pass the fuck out now. Um, I'm going to play some Zelda, actually. That's nuts. Okay. Are you, you're playing the new Zelda? <laughs> yeah, dude. It's, it's so good. It looks so fun. Yeah. I guess I'm going to watch TikTok and pass out. Yeah. I'm going to watch some ramen videos on my phone. Oh, I should do that, yeah. Shout out Tampopo. Great list, guys. Uh, honestly, one of the best mm-hmm. lists we've conjured up, I think, so far in this decade series. Um Thank you guys for coming on, Bill Griff. Thanks for coming back two, two times in a row. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun. We yeah, we've had a, a lot of fun the past two episodes. I think Carlos and I were saying, even the last episode was great. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, anytime you need me back, I'm here. Anytime Carlos needs to, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm too tired. I'm too tired to even finish that. The punchline. The pu- we all know the punchline. We all know the punchline. <laughs> I'm so tired. By the way, for for some viewers out there that may not know Bill Griff, he has an awesome channel on Criterions. He's, to me, the fucking king of Criterions. He has an endless amount of Criterion knowledge and, to sure. me, the best the best haul videos you could find on YouTube. So please check him out and subscribe to his channel. Oh, thank you, man. Totally. Absolutely. Sub to Bill Griff, but also sub to the Misfit Pond channel. Exactly. At yes. If you're another... watching this on my channel, sub to my channel, please. <laughs> if you're here, follow my back. Instagram, I guess. <laughs> That's all I got to say. <laughs> follow, follow Spooky Blair on Instagram. Uh, and follow... follow... What? Yeah. I was going to say follow games you love. Yeah, follow Blair. games you love, please. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Game Shalom. Game Shalom. Jake, all right. Jake's like, what the <laughs> fuck? I'm done. Shut I just up can't believe. I don't. I, I just don't know what you're. Yeah. Anyway, um, Mister Pond uh, Discord, five dollars a month. If you wanna. Do oh that. hell yeah! Thank you. Yep. You five dollars can... a month. Uh, you, you get access to Discord, movie nights. You get your own wheel pick. You get your own uh, blind recommendations. Uh, we discuss all this shit. It's just a it's a grand old time. 
Totally. We'll ask you how you feel about the whale by Aronofsky. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! You can and, see me. Uh, you can see me more yeah. unhinged in the Discord. If you want to That's see, like, un, if you want to see unhinged Carlos, just please join the Discord oh. for five dollars a month. You're still such a sweetheart, though. In there, you're not like a dick. Oh, thank you. Actually, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, that one time. <laughs> actually, that one time <laughs> when we talked about the whale, you're. <laughs> fucking asshole. Um. Anyway, yeah. Sub- subscribe to the Cinnabums too. Obviously, all that bullshit. I don't want to plug anything. I'm done. See you guys. <laughs> Pizza time. It's so late. Uh. <laughs> Pizza time. Pizza time. <laughs>